Uh, all right. This is Savvy Savage Podcast on Call In. This is episode 136. RFK Jr., Black Voters, Cardi B, and more. There's so much to discuss. A lot has happened, I would say, uh, over the past couple of days. So I want to hear from you. Let's go ahead and uh, bring in Ashura. It looks like you are first going to make you caller. And I'm just going to check the media volume here for just a second. All right. What's going on, Ashura? Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, good. Because I'm walking. Uh, I didn't see most of your show tonight. Those I caught was the RFK thing, the Cardi B one, and the Joe Biden poll. Uh, one thing I will say, uh, when you talk about reparations, that's not like uh, other people are not owed reparations. I'm not talking about, I'm not thinking about the slave part, because I know I wasn't born in the States. But I do know your country has done some weird shit in other countries by fucking their, their, their economies, killing the president, literally been taking over their banks. So I think that outside the reparations, they are owed reparations. Yeah, I think that, um, uh, you know, and again, I, I think we've we've talked about this before. Um, for example, I've said that like Haiti should get reparations from France. Jamaica, for example, should get reparations from the UK. Actually, a lot of countries should get reparations from the UK uh, now that I think about it. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Like those countries are owed uh, reparations. In fact, I do remember Prince William and Kate, they actually went to visit, I want to say it was it was either Jamaica or Barbados. Uh, it's a, one of those weird countries that think they, they were God. They are their God. Some weird shit. Yeah, they, they, they went to visit, and I remember they were not greeted well, and they were greeted with chants of reparations. And, and it's, it's true. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, when we talk about, like, uh, the royal family, they colonized, like, a lot of these countries, and they stole wealth from those countries. And, yes they do owe reparations to those countries. And Prince William actually, I mean, he didn't shy away from it. He actually did acknowledge that they do, you know, it is a debt uh, that is owed. Now, are they trying to pay that debt? No. I don't think so. They're just, they're just giving lip service. They're, ne they're never gonna pay it. So I'm just wondering, like, when they bring up the reparations, I would just hope that you could say, yeah, they, they may not, a lot of these other countries may not be asking for the slave parts, but the other modern day, the modern day shit, they've done to these countries, yeah, they fucking own reparations for those ones. Like, uh, Joe Biden literally is funding the gangs in Haiti just to fight that other guy, that ex-cop, who literally sounds like a socialist when you think about it. I don't know if you saw the interview with that guy. Dan Cohen was talking about it. And clearly, when I heard this guy talking, I think it was JB. Yeah, it was JB showing it. And when I heard this guy, that's exactly how some Haitians talk. They want education. They basically want higher wages. They want basically dignity. You're not going to fucking see it. If you ever went to Haiti, if you go to the these other places called uh, Cité Soleil, these are like the worst of the worst places. It looks like fucking Gaza down there in Port-au-Prince. Yeah, I've heard. That. I've That's heard. Um, I, I, I interviewed Dan Cohen a while back about the gangs um, in Haiti. Um, so yeah, he's, he's done a whole like documentary about that. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very, very troubling. And the U S government has really, they have destroyed the economic infrastructure of some of these countries. You know, they, they do have things that they need to answer for abroad as well. 
Um, but that would have to come from them. That would have to come from those countries, you know, asking the U.S. government to pay some sort of restitution for the damages and the harm uh, that they've done to those countries. And, and more importantly, also the economic harm. But when I talk about reparations for American, African-American descendants of slavery in this country, you know, this is this is a, a lineage issue uh, here. We're talking about free labor where people worked in this country for over 400 years and they weren't paid. And there were other countries, uh, other companies later on that were able to profit, you know, off of that labor. If you go back and you chase, trace the history of companies like Johnson and Johnson, you'll see that they were able to profit from it. And these people, you know, became very rich and wealthy off of the backs of slaves who were not paid or compensated in any way, shape or form thus affecting uh, black home ownership, black land ownership in this country, thus affecting black wealth. Yeah, I get that part. But do you also know that, uh, what's it called, uh, your country also sold, <laughs> you don't know that there's a sugarcane business in Haiti? Yeah, they, they sold, they sold, they owned a plantation there. They were stealing money from there too. They also sold the labor. Yeah, but but again, that that would be for it would be for Haitians to call for that. Like they would have to call for the U.S. government to pay some sort of restitution, um, especially since I just saw a story recently that said that the U.S. government is also trying to intervene in Haiti again. So it just it th there's a lot of things going on, and you know I think eventually it's going to get it to a point where honestly in the world where a lot of these companies are going to start, these countries are going to start to break ties with the United States, such as Saudi Arabia is kind of doing that already a little bit. Like they're still ally of the United States, but they're dipping their toe into bricks. So Saudi Arabia has been teasing this for quite some time. And I think all it's going to take is for a powerhouse like Saudi Arabia to cut off their allyship with the United States for other countries to then, to, to, to then start to follow. And I think that France... You know, Macron hinted towards this when he had that interview. I think this was a couple months ago where he said that Europe should not be following the lead of other, you know, of, of the United States, that they should actually be a third world power. So there's already talks of this starting to happen. Uh, they're not going to do shit. You, you know how cowardly these people are. They talk big, but they do shit. They do nothing. Uh, you even have uh, uh, Saudi Arabia. Remember that story when you put it out that Iran, was it Iran or Yemen? Yemen says, we're going to war. And all of a sudden, I read a story how the United States went to uh, Saudi Arabia and they counted the rockets that were going into uh, Israel. Yeah, it was, I think it was Yemen. Yeah, it was Yemen. And it's like, Saudi Arabia's not going to do shit. I think they still want to basically be pals with America. I don't think they want to basically, they're dipping their toe in bricks. I don't think they're going to basically join BRICS. I think they just want America to melt down. They might, the petrodollar might go away. And they're going to probably use. I don't know. I mean, they're already in talks with China. Like, that was another clip I played tonight where Saudi Arabia is going to meet with Xi Jinping to resolve this issue in reference to Israel and Gaza. And by the way, I can tell you. If I had to pick a side, I'm pretty sure willing to bet that China and Saudi Arabia are going to be on the side of the Palestinians, not on the side of Israel. Well, if the, if those two people can make uh, 
Israel-Palestine again, or Israel with Syria, I believe. They said it was Syria at one point. If they can make it Palestine again, I'll, 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 I'll see it when I believe it. Because I, I don't trust Saudi Arabia. Yeah, I don't trust. I don't trust anybody. Like, I, like I'm sorry, but I, I don't trust anybody. In the end, because the thing is, is this: in the end, no country is going to allow their own people to struggle for the interest of the United States. In the end, when it comes down to it, they're going to look out for their people. So this I, is. I don't think I the just, U.S. is always going to have these allies. <laughs> Well, I disagree on that point. You just said that no country's going to do that. Well, Haiti's letting them do that. Okay, let me rephrase that. No country <laughs> where, <laughs> no country where the U.S. has actually installed their leader is going to do that. You know, and that's why the U.S. comes in. Yeah, that's why they come in and they take out their leaders and or they install leaders that'll do their bidding. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy shit if you think yeah. about it. I mean, yeah, sure. Can you put your mouth a little closer to the phone? You're coming in really quiet. Oh, no. It's, uh, I basically have my uh, headphones. I'm going to get inside my house. So anyways, so I'm going to turn it off. Uh, when it comes to RFK, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with that guy. I mean, he doesn't believe in reparations. Just fucking say it. Yeah. I was just going to say we have to be very careful about some of these like candidates or just people in general that say they're for reparations but they they say that they're against cash payments then they're not for reparations we have to be very careful with those people like a lot of people you know this is like a fad now all these candidates are like yeah i support reparations i support da 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 but if you actually look at their plan for reparations it's nowhere near what they did for the japanese people in the internment camps it's nowhere near for that so we have to be careful that's why like people were tagging me um, in that interview that RFK Jr. had with Math Hofra, and they said, Sabby, he supports reparations. Will you support him now? And I'm like, don't you know that I watched this video like a couple of months ago? And don't you know that I watched the entire interview when I heard him say that he is against cash reparations? Can Did you, you watch the whole, Did you watch the whole video? Oh. oh. Can you send me that video, Sabrina? Because uh, I can never find it online. Yeah, so it's on Math Hoffra's channel. Okay. Yeah, I can send it to you because he clipped certain parts of it and he clipped specifically, he clipped that reparations discussion part. So yeah, I can definitely send it to you. I'll just send you the, I can send you the full interview and I can send you the, just the clip about reparations. Yeah. Cause that was like bullshit when he said like, well, that's going to hurt the feelings of certain people. Then why are you talking right. to black people for? Exactly. Like first, first you're sitting there and you're trying to tell, you're trying to tell, first of all, you're in a black barbershop. You're trying to tell these dudes how you think reparations should be done for the African-American community. First of all, that's not your decision, RFK Jr. And if you were serious about that, you would have consulted with people from reparations organizations and groups and asked them how it should be done. You don't go to a black barbershop and tell black people, here's what I think your people should get. That's why they responded to him the way that they did. And then on top of that, you say you should not receive cash reparations because it's going to uh, upset other populations. So uh, again, like 
you not just say you're not really for reparations, man. Just say you're not really for that, but you don't sit up there and tell black people, listen, I don't think we should pursue this because other groups in this country might be upset if you get something that they didn't get. Well, guess what, Bobby? For years and centuries in this country, other groups got things that black people did not get, that we didn't get. Well, since Other groups the, got, got a lot of things where we, we got nothing or we got the bare minimum. So I think now it's time for black people to get something. And if other people are mad about it, you just let them be mad, Bobby. You just don't, Bobby don't want to piss off his friends. Bobby don't want to piss off his billionaire donors that he get money from because he know they would have a problem with him, him giving cash reparations to African-Americans. So you got to be careful not to jump on these bandwagons where people say so-and-so support reparations. You can tell they did not look at the reparations platform. They did not consult these different groups. If he was serious about it, even Marianne Williamson was smart enough to actually sit down and talk to Sandy Darity and different members of reparations organizations and, and committees to find out what needs to be done. And even Marianne said it's not for her to decide how the money should be spent because she's not a part of the lineage. So come on, man. Yeah, on the part of, uh, I didn't see the Nina part and the Jill Stein one. What is Nina being smart, smeared about? They smeared, um, she was on CNN and they smeared her as right wing because she said, she well, she was criticizing Joe Biden and then she also said that Donald Trump didn't get us into two wars. So they criticized her, they smeared her. <laughs> They're giving her the Jimmy Dore treatment. <laughs> Smeared her as, as as right wing. There it is. You're uh, right wing if you criticize the Democratic Party. Well, if you give John Donald Trump, Donald Trump a plus, like uh, you're right wing, as if like you don't you're not already in a right wing party with the Democrats. But the thing yeah. is, is like they were acting like what she said. They honestly were acting like what Nina Turner said was an opinion and not a fact. It's a fact. Yeah, and uh, I'm surprised you said Jill Stein was on CNN. Did they say that she might run as a spoiler again? <laughs> She's going to traumatize them again? No, actually, what was really interesting, and that's why I wanted I covered that story, is because the way the interview was done. It was done by um, uh, another black woman, not Abby, but uh, I think her name was Camille. Camille, I forget how to say her name, but anyway. She actually, for the most part, was pretty fair to Jill Stein. That's what I was actually surprised by. Number one, the fact that she was on CNN. But number two, the fact that they weren't like she wasn't trying to shout Jill Stein down or trying to basically, you know, make Jill Stein feel bad about being a spoiler candidate. So that part was really interesting. I was shocked. I was really surprised. Laura Coates. That's right. LPA film. Thank you for that. Laura Coates. Yeah, about Cardi B herself. Like, the go one for thing it. that got me laughing when she shared that shit, like what's going to happen to her family when the, the funding was being cut. I'm like, aren't you rich? Can't you fund your own, your entire family? Put those record labels and that money, most of those money you got, yeah, you're a millionaire. You can fund your family. My guess is if they live in New York City, I mean, it's. Also, how many family members are we talking about? I mean, that depends how much how much money she's made over the years. Like, it's, she's got to be making the million. She must be a hundred million. That's right, but that um, um, like it don't go as far as you would think if you live in New York City. Because the thing is, too, 
We don't know how many family members we're talking about. I'm pretty sure she's probably helped them in, in, in some ways or shape or form. But you got to be careful about that, too, because there have been uh, celebrities that have done just that. They've tried to help out everybody in their family and then they went broke. Uh, Fantasia actually had that happen to her. I think she's back up on her feet now. But when Fantasia started making money, like she tried to help out everybody in her family, including her mother, who had pretty much abandoned her uh, before she was famous. And then she ended up broke. MC Hammer tried to help out everybody in his family. Well, and everybody in the damn community, I'm not going to lie. Uh, and then we know what happened with MC Hammer. He ended up broke. So once you add in the taxes that they're the taxes that they're going to get, and then the fact that her family does live in New York City, it's expensive to live in New York. So again, how many family are we just talking about like two cousins and one niece? Or are we talking about like you got 20 over 20 something? Because I can tell you right now, just like from my family alone, like when she said niece and stuff like that, like you know how many cousins I have? I mean, it's just for me, if I was Cardi B, if I was rich, I don't think that would be a problem for me to even say that. That's the part that kind of made me like, what? Well, I think it's, she it's was just talking about her community in general. Right. No, That's what I'm saying. About... Like, it's, it's not that easy because you can't help. Here's the other thing. Then you can't help one family member unless you help the other. So that's another thing because people will be like, oh, you have you're a millionaire now. Why don't you help me out? Then you go, you help one cousin, another cousin be like, well, you gave so-and-so money. How come you didn't give me money and da-da-da? So that's the thing you got to be. You can't just help one and not help everybody else. So there's that. Not saying that she hasn't helped them at all. I'm, it's, I'm pretty sure she has given them something. But I mean, what I'm saying is, can she afford to take care of them for you know the rest of their life while she's taking care of herself? Okay. No. I, I, I thought... I thought I thought if she was rich, it'd be enough to basically help them all. Well, helping them and taking care of them are two different things. Okay. Anyways, I'm gonna let Notoria in. All right. Um, and Eric, you were gonna, you had, you were trying to chime in real quick. Well, I was just saying. I just took what Cardi B is saying was is that she was talking about her, her community, you know, the community in in general. You know, I, I thought she was just speaking with, with you know, with, with empathy for for people who aren't rich like she is, and how you know what Eric Adams is doing is is going to um, affect them. And I mean, I guess the other thing would just be that if we if we have a better society, you know, then then you don't have so much of these issues of where. You know, a person has to get rich and help out everyone in the family or else they basically end up homeless and, and halfway starving. So I'd like to see, you know, someone like her advocate for, you know, things to be you know, more comprehensive changes and improvements. Yeah, that's a really good point there, Eric. You're right. And there's and there's been so many people that have tried to do this before, too, where they're like, I made it, so I'm gonna try to help out everybody in the community and then they end up broke, you know? So it's just it's 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 crazy time. What's going on, Notori? You are on the mic. What's up? Hello. Hello. I want to talk about the Cardi B thing a little bit. If I was rich, I would help out my family, but 
I don't care how rich I am. I don't want to. It's, I feel. I would feel like I would help, but it's not my responsibility, you know. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, like it's 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 hard, man, too, because then it's like then people in the community, right? Because like for some people, depending on where you grow up, it's like you got to lift up and and bring everybody. You got to bring everybody with you, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know what she was saying because even though you can have all the money in the world, but if you, she gonna feel it too because she gonna have to. She, I feel like she came out because she gonna feel it because she is helping a lot of family members. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's not just her. If you um like got millions, I don't know if you really care if you got billions, but I'm pretty sure people in Hollywood that got millions. They help their family members and the next family members, and they're going to feel it because they still see, you know, the bills going up and what they got to pay. Yeah. yeah. And that can't, that can't help the thing with Eric Adams either, because let's just be clear, you know, Eric Adams is a horrible mayor. He's, mm-hmm. he's just been horrible. And I've, I've talked to people I know that live in New York, like they're like, they said, this guy's awful for for new yorkers right so that's another thing that she's not going to be able to change not anytime soon anyway i don't understand why he ain't in prison yet because he um his best friend with this scamming ass um preacher man girl him in a blouse with two months ago and his connections with him but he is what being investigated for some other charges. We um they need to be looking into that, the other stuff too. Girl, he's starting to sound more and more like Mary and Barry. <laughs> right. Although the people, although um his constituents, Mary and Barry's um, for those who don't know, Mary and Barry was uh Mayor of DC back in the day. Mary and Barry's uh constituents loved him though. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of corruption, but they loved him. Yeah, I want to talk about um Robert too. Ugh. It's like he like I used I would ask myself like why is these people vote for him? But I understood I finally understood. I don't know why I just come to this conclusion, but I feel like he is getting the people that don't like Democrats, don't like Republicans, but was still. I feel like his group of people they don't really want they want to change. To me, I feel like they want to change a little bit, but not a lot. And I feel like he don't give a fuck about what um the left. I ain't gonna say the left, cause what the other people think. Like me, he don't like cause he ain't coming on the other shows. And I feel like he don't care about what. I ain't gonna say my side, but he don't care about the other group of people what they have to say because he not. So what I seen, he not really checking for us. He worried about the hanger-ons of the Democrat and Republican Party. Right. He's he's not trying to win lefties. Yeah. He's not trying to get like what was part of that, like that Bernie Sanders coalition. He's not trying to appeal to those types at all. He's he's trying to win over um, the independents, some libertarians, because from what I've heard, I've heard the libertarian candidate is not good. It's just from what I've heard compared to how Gary Johnson was, because like I said, they Gary Johnson was his run was actually historic for the Libertarian Party. That's how well Gary Johnson did. Um, And then I think he's trying to get the ex-Trump voters, the ones that voted for Trump, but they don't want Trump for a second term. 
Yeah, that's what I came to the conclusion because, and then I saw what you, and I was posting everything. I was like, hurry up, Googling it. And I was um, posting everything you were saying on um, Twitter because I was shocked. I ain't know something like that have happened. Like the um, Ronald Reagan um, in Japanese thing. The Look, I was waiting for the right time to cover that, actually. I was like, it's going to come a time when it's going to be, it, it's going to work. There's going to be a story I'm discussing, and I'm going to talk about this thing that happened with Ronald Reagan. Because I don't think a lot of people are aware of that, particularly if you weren't born like before. Like, if you weren't old enough to even remember a Ronald Reagan presidency, you may not know. Right. So I don't think a lot of people just are aware. Um, but yes, Ronald Reagan did sign that for Japanese Americans. And again, like I said, that happened under a conservative president. Another thing about Ronald Reagan, for those who are not aware, Ronald Reagan also did not have the position on immigration that Republican politicians have on it today. He did not want to turn away. Uh, Mexican people that were coming into the United States. This is another thing. If you go back, you watch the debate between it's him and George H. Bush, where they're talking about immigration. And the one thing that both of them agreed on is that they did not think that uh, those people should be turned away, that they said that we need to find a faster way for them to become citizens. So that just goes to show you how much, um, the Republican Party has changed over the years. It's an old video. It's on YouTube, though. Mm -hmm. And I just want to touch a little bit on the Susan Sarandon thing. And it's a, it don't have that much to do with Diddy. But it's crazy to me that they will shut her down, but yet they protect sex trafficking, raping, and they hide it and cover it up. But yet you don't sign a piece of paper for Israel. It's like, oh, you blackball, you done. That's crazy to me. Isn't it wild how that works, though? Mm -hmm. Like, think about all the people that are on that Epstein list, right? That we still haven't had the opportunity to look at. All those people still walking around freely. Mm -hmm. Did you read? Did you read the Diddy like? Did you read the Diddy papers? Like I follow this girl on YouTube and they have to read. I was listening to her and the shit that was in that document is giving Epstein and sex trafficking. And I feel like Diddy is a big fish, but I feel like the people who groomed him and gave him power. I want to know who was the three of the people that's above him and that's allowing it. I did not, I didn't read the Diddy papers. You'll have to send me that. Um, I do think it's really strange that very quickly after Cassie uh, announced that, um, that, that lawsuit against Diddy, that they settled that quickly. So after I covered that story, they settled. Mm -hmm. It's a whole bunch of stuff um in it and um i'm gonna show i'm gonna um, text you the girl that i watch on youtube because she go through it all and it's really good and then it's like i'm this the little the last thing i'm gonna say because you got a lot of people back there but it's this lady that i start following but she said it um i think she went viral when it came out that she said exactly what was going to happen and i hope they open kim porter case too because i feel like he killed 
um, Kim Porter. I feel like she he killed her, and she said that she was talking to Kim Porter, and that it was going to happen the day, the year, and it happened that day and the year. And I went back to that video and saw the whole video, and that was four years ago. That was crazy to me. What? Her name is um on YouTube. Her name is Salon Bella. It's S L O A N B E L L A. Mm-hmm. Okay. I am if you I can, can text you, Yeah, can you put it in the chat too, Tori, in here? Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't. And I want the and this is the last thing I'm gonna say. It's a recent one she just did. I'm gonna put that in the chat too down here. And it's a recent one she just did. And she was saying, like, it's people. And that's why I get my information because I'm like, she said it's like they, she see, like, it's like a milkshake. She see that, like, his money is going to be sucked up like a milkshake, like his money. And then she said um, by Easter, March, some other stuff going to come out. And they said that she see, um, she see um, his mouth being, um, like closed up like with needles so that means she don't know if something gonna happen to him or people above him is gonna keep him quiet so he won't be able to speak either did he what i'm gonna put all that in there mm-hmm. it's just crazy but i'm gonna let you get through that but um, i'm gonna put it um the name of the video in the um her name down there but it's good stuff but crazy stuff Okay, yeah, if you can put that in the chat, that would be great because I'm about to, yeah, because I'll, I'll have to check that out. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Let's go ahead and bring in um, Noelle real quick and then I'll go to Darlene. Good evening, everybody. Um, You know, I, as I was listening to the program today, especially the part about Nina Turner, I was just taken with how, you know, it is so obvious to me that she really needs to break out of that Democrat orbit because, you know, they're using her now to be the punching bag, if you will, or the controlled opposition who is left of the corporate and establishment Democrats, but not really will go so far as to be speak for the left as I know she could. So she's going to do whatever she can to stay tethered um, to the Democratic Party. And for some reason, I guess that's her lifeline. But I can't believe that she can't see that she is not a good fit for that party. And every time she is out of alignment with whatever the mainstream center is, they're going to dox her and tear her apart. And so my thing is, why do you set yourself up from that set yourself up for that when you could just simply leave that orbit and speak freely. But she plays the same kind of role that Bernie Sanders plays. I'm going to say enough. I'm going to say a little, but I'll never break out and just encourage people to leave, to leave. And, you know, this whole thing with her positioning on the um, Palestinian crisis you know, that's a part of what got her in trouble when she was running against um, Chantel Brown for the 11th Congressional District. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if you are not going to break free fully and just speak your full truth, 
this half stepping and this and that is just never going to do it because they're always going to use you as the punching bag and the sounding board to make it seem as if the left is really just such an extreme position. Because to a lot of people who don't really dial in, they don't realize that she does not really speak for the um, unaffiliated left. She speaks for the left within the democratic orbit, and that's a different thing. Um, With the Susan Sarandon piece, um, that just struck me as a return to McCarthyism, and it really is a dangerous space to be in. But for but even more than just the natural danger to what we consider democratic principles, it speaks to, to my thinking, the power of the Israel lobby and beyond, because this is clearly to me an example of the Israeli interest taking center stage in American policy, both domestic and foreign. And You know, this is where we really get to a place where you can't level any critique of any sort against anything related to Jewish people without being called an anti-Semite to shut you down. But there are some, none of us are perfect and there are some things that there needs to be some criticism of. Because if you're going to control American foreign policy by way of dictating almost who's in Congress, who's out, what positions they better take. If you don't have the interests of the American people at heart, you're going to be steering that ship in a direction that benefits a very small minority in this country. And so are we to say that the vast majority of this country should be laid to waste because they have you know, gotten control of the, of the levers of power? And if you were to suggest those type of things, even though it's fairly easy to see, does that make you an anti-Semite? Because you're correctly stating that this minority group has gotten an outsized influence and they're not an outsized influence for the people. They're an outside influence for their own secular interests. And to me, that is really dangerous. But again, I say they have succeeded in weaponizing the language of anti-Semitic and anti-Semitism in a way that no other group has. And, you know, the the thing that this issue demonstrates um, face on is that it's just not a matter of making you apologize or this and that. It's taking your job, ruining your career. And that takes a lot. You know, that's a lot. As long as we've talked about race and racism in this country, the descendants of slaves and African-Americans otherwise have not amassed the type of power that can just simply take people's jobs and ruin people's careers. So that says something about power and the way this minority has amassed it. Um, And if and, you know, I just don't think that this is going to be something that we easily part from. Um. But you, you, know, know, you know what else, Noel? Uh-huh. It, sure, it sure as hell doesn't happen when people criticize black people. Exactly. Exactly. No one stops the presses. No one threatens your job. You know, if we scream and shout and march and protest and do enough backflips, they'll make somebody retract a statement or this and that or issue a clarification or rescind something. But it's not like 
people are so afraid because they know that, you know, your job or your career is going to be ruined in this and that. It's a whole different ball game. Right. But, um, you know, like I say, that is how we get into a very difficult situation in this country. And, you know, but it does represent a real threat to the freedom of speech, the illusion of freedom of speech, because we really don't have it now. You know, there is no freedom of speech in a situation where you can be so easily threatened and you see the what I consider the merger of the deep state and the regular state to control speech because they're trying to control the narrative. And, you know, the pictures that come out of Palestine, especially Gaza, are so stark, it's difficult to reframe them. And so, people, you know, the state is trying to tell you that you're seeing something that you are not or what you are seeing is not what you're seeing. And it's just not working. And that's why I think, you know, we're just at a whole nother level where they're being forced to do what they do right in public. They can't do it in the most low key surreptitious ways anymore. They have to just come right out and lower the boom. But to me, that is an indication that this empire is really headed towards a collapse because you have to do your dirty stuff right up front with respect to manufacturing of consent. And even though you're doing it, people still see it and are not easily led. So it's a whole nother level. But um, and in terms of the RFK situation, you know, I think of myself and how you know, for years, I just voted Democrat automatically because that was the programming was, you know, my people were Democrats, I vote Democrat. But the um, Barack Obama campaign was an invitation for me to dial into politics in a whole different, more deep way. And now that I am, I have had my eyes open through his campaign and start paying more attention to politics. It's like, you know, I see things altogether differently. And I say that to say most, um, I found a lot of, you know, Black Americans politics to be kind of inept because a lot of people don't dial in. They just vote this, that, and a third. And so I can see where the Kennedy name for um, Black voters of a certain age, it would resonate because they would think back to the 60s and this and that and really not pay attention to what he is saying in some of these stump speeches to realize that even though he's a Kennedy, he is still not quite where one would need him to be in terms of our best interests. And I say that both as a descendant of slave and as an everyday working class American, because his foreign policy issues can be quite dangerous to my thinking. But that said, you know, I think our whole body politic is sick because nobody is really trying to focus on what the needs of the people are. And I thought that statement by um, Jean Corinne was just really tone deaf for her to say, oh, we're not going to change the American people's mind, this and that as if to say, we're going to hold this position no matter what people say. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> I thought that was just really, um, I was just stunned because I'm like, sugar, you done said the quiet part out loud. You just don't mm-hmm. care what the people are saying. But um, I think it's just, you know, it's it's all very, um, 
significant in ways that are tragic. And, you know, and as far as the Cardi B piece goes, I'm like, child, who listened to Cardi B for who she endorsing? The people who probably listen to Cardi B probably don't even vote. But, and I just say that because I see her as so unserious, but I do appreciate the point that she was, you know, trying to make um, in perhaps an impolitic way. But, you know, I appreciate that she is aware enough to break and to be able to connect what's going on in real time with the decisions that are being made with respect to the budget out of Washington. And that ties to my earlier point that, you know, you just can't hide your hands anymore. They have to pledge this hundred billion dollars to Ukraine and 14 additional billion dollars to Israel at the same time that they're telling you, oh, there's nothing we can do about inflation. Oh, the economy is doing fabulous. Oh, we can't give you universal health care. And all of these um, diametrically opposed points are being smashed together in one stew. And they're trying to tell you it all makes sense. And people are like, hold on, this is not working for me. This doesn't make sense. But, you know, yep. you know, that's that. So now I'll be quiet and let the next person chat. <laughs> well said there, Noel. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Darlene. Hello, Darlene. What's going on? You just have to um, hit the unmute button. Can you hear me? We can hear you loud and clear. All right. Um, I had to say, watching the news clip, I, I really, I, I, I'm amazed. I'm so, and I'm surprised. I live in New York that I've never bumped into any of these newscasters. Maybe it's better for them because I would definitely <laughs> give them a piece of my mind. But for them to really think, like, why people don't like Joe Biden. Like, are you serious? Like, that's because they don't talk to everyday people. I mean, it's really the and the bewilderness on their face that, that he's doing so bad. I mean, that's easy to see, you know? I mean, he's a horrible president. So what, you know... I mean, they want to say he's great, but he's not. And I really like the way with Jill on there and how she pushed back on Hillary Clinton when she said, then, you know, they're not entitled to the votes. Like, really, what I'm, I really like to know what makes them think that if you, if, if you didn't vote for a Green Party, you would have voted for them. I don't they know. Think, they think they own us, um, Darlene. <laughs> yeah, and it's really dumb of them. Because they don't, like, you have no hold over, you know, what someone's going to go do at the polls. I mean, I just got from watching you guys to go vote regardless, even if I said fuck you in the, in the, in the, uh, the choice. But at least I still go ahead and go vote. But yeah, it's just ridiculous. So what I was really glad that she pushed back on that with her and, 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 you know, said that about Hillary. And then another thing I had is about uh, your comments with, with the show tonight, like um, when you were just talking about Israel and Palestine. I mean, I see all the things now and how you can't say nothing against Israel and people losing their job and like Susan Sarandon and everything. And it's just like, it's crazy. But you know what? I wonder if this is going to do something like people is going to just be enough where you're, you know, like this is, you know, you can't that people are going to just get tired, that I can't talk about a foreign comp uh, government. This isn't even my government. I can't talk about a foreign one that I'm going to be censored. That's ridiculous. So 
I mean, I don't know, but you never know when people get tired of all, if you know, if all a lot of power for people who, if they would actually speak out and get fired and stuff, maybe there would be a change. I don't know. But everybody's scared of Israel. I mean, it's just crazy. Like you said, when you were talking with Nina Turner, why she wants to stay in the Democratic Party is beyond me. Like people say, it's like being in an abusive relationship. You're not wanted. <laughs> but I you keep going back for the abuse. Yeah, I don't understand why she's holding on to the Democratic Party unless she plans on trying to run again through the Democratic Party. But keep in mind, like, that's the reason why they are bringing her on CNN, because she is still a Democrat. She's still connected to the Democratic Party. Like, I would like to see them bring on someone like Max Blumenthal, Norm Finkelstein, uh, Katie Halper, Anya, um, Anya Parmpel, like mm -hmm. Garland Nixon. I would love that. Garland Nixon used to be used to be a guest host on Fox News. He has experience in yeah. this background. I would like to see them bring on those people to talk about foreign policy, to be honest with you, but they, they won't because, again, they don't parrot the State Department talking points. I'm even surprised they've gotten as far as they have with admitting certain things about the tunnels, for example, that Israel built those tunnels underneath that damn hospital, which is what independent media commentators have been saying for quite some time. Um, and other things like acknowledging like where this all really started, 1948, we go all the way back and talking about the Palestinian people be being displaced. Now you hear a call again for a push for, you know, some type of a solution to give the Palestinian people self-determination. So the thing is, I don't think any of those things would have been stated if it wasn't for the protests that erupted all across the world. Yeah. Definitely that there's all this noise. Then the other day when um, the video you talked about, about uh, when Norm Finkelstein went on Candace Owens, and I never watch. I'm like, in two weeks, you got me liking two people I usually don't like, her and, and Jenk, so <laughs> of the things that they're doing. But I was reading all the comments in her in, in, the, in the video, and there were a lot of positive comments. I think if a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand this conflict, but you cannot, even though Norm could be, he could draw it out, but if you listen to him, he makes sense on what he's saying. And, you know, he just seems like he has a sincerity about him that you, you, you can't deny. And I think, you know, he would change a lot of people's mind on the right who might not know the whole entire story of what was going on. And maybe there'd be more people against Israel and, and things will change. Yeah, I try, I try to get, uh, Norm to come on. He's so freaking busy. Like, um, it was easier to get him to come on in the past because that was before October 7th. But now it's crazy. Cause like he's, he's doing shows like every day, like back to back. Like it's crazy. He's all over the place. I don't even know how he's doing all this. Like really like, you know, um, but no, it's true. When Norm talks about this issue, he talks about it in a way that people can understand it. You can tell he used to be a professor, right? So mm -hmm. he, he actually teaches it to you. And yeah, it, you know, at first I was kind of, I was like, do I want to watch this interview? And I was like, cause it's Candace Owens and I can't stand mm -hmm. it. And I was like, I don't, I don't really want to watch. I was like, you know what? Let me go ahead and watch it. Then I watched the interview. Then I do some, I did something that I usually don't do. I looked at the comments and I was utterly like shocked. Mm-hmm. Because the comments were so favorable to the discussion. 
Exactly. That's why I'm like so many people. I didn't know until I started watching on YouTube and listen from all of you to what was going on in Israel. I had no idea. Or, you know, it's a shame I didn't. But for all these years, I had no idea about any of this. I think a lot of people just don't know. Um, go ahead, Noelle. And what Norm Finkelstein does so well is contextualize the whole set of circumstances. And, you know, in this space, it is important to hear from, you know, Jewish people because they're, like I said earlier, they're less easy for a Gentile to corner and badger. Yes. Because again, you have to straddle that line between not wanting to come across as anti-Semitic, um, dealing with a Jew who is in favor of Palestinian freedom. But for what I think is lacking for most Americans is they don't understand how and that Israel was actually created. You know, because if you're not of a certain age, Israel has just been a part of the reality. And you never really have the opportunity to question the narrative of, oh, Israel has a right to defend itself in this net. But what Norm does exceedingly well is put that whole thing into context and explain it through the facts of history. And then people began to see it. And, you know, he strikes me as a man of very deep integrity. And this issue is a very serious issue for him because of his lineage in terms of his mother and father having survived the Holocaust. So this is a very serious issue for him. And he stands behind the facts. And that that's what makes him so powerful to me as he speaks to this issue. I agree. I, I think it's um, and, and no offense to anyone else, but. When I'm, I'm looking for guests to come on to talk about this issue, I typically will reach out to people who are Jewish or people who are Palestinian because they're the ones that are involved. In, it's their people, right, that are involved uh, in the struggle. Um, so it's just, it's, you know, people like Dan Cohen. Uh, Miko Polid, by the way, is a fantastic, phenomenal. Like, this is someone who was on the side of the IDF. And it, it just shows you how people can change when they understand about what's actually happening. Can you imagine like being on the other side? You're a general son. And then you're like, wait a minute now. And can you imagine these two things from the Palestinian perspective? Go ahead. And I was going to say, can you imagine where the American discourse would be if the major media and network media would center the voices of Norm Finkelstein and Miko Paled. It would just be a whole different discourse. And that's why framing is so important, but they're not going to center and bring those voices forward that can offer you a different perspective and back it up with not only personal perspectives and interests, but the knowledge of the history of it. And so, you know, but again, this country is a, you know, settler colonialist project. And so we understand why they support another settler colonialist project. Mm -hmm. But it's yeah. so clear what's happening. And I mean, it's just, it's just tragic in a way that, um, I mean, it really bothers me because I believe if, if history allows this thing to happen, 
I don't think there's going to be any peace, not only in the Middle East, but it's going to spread broader. Because if if you allow them to just destroy these people, they're just cannot, you cannot make heaven out of digging somebody else's hell. You just can't do it. And I think I keep reminding myself that we're towards the end of the first quarter of the 21st century. This settler colonialist BS is so 18th, 17th, 16th century. Have we not learned a better way, you know, and you just cannot keep pissing on everybody and telling people it's rain because we know that it is not. You're right. You're right. Go ahead, Darlene. Oh, no, she just said it so perfectly. That's what I, when you look at this stuff and you think about back in the days, like Roman time stuff, it's still happening. And it's like, wow, do we never learn? But it sounds like we def- definitely never do. But that's all I wanted to say. And I was just happy tonight, like I said, to see Jill push back. And it was just, it was a good show, Savvy. So thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much. Okie dokie. Let's bring in Justin. Justin, what's going on? Just got to hit the uh, unmute button. Hey, uh, can you hear me? What's up? <laughs> oh, not too much, Sabby. It's been a little while and um, I hope you're doing well. Um, really great um, conversation here from all the callers. Um, tonight and um you know as usual you're doing the damn thing and um you know um what what crazy times are going through right now too um i was on the call um that launch for for jill stein tonight um i don't know if you guys any of you guys saw it i i i I caught the show kind of late so i don't know if you discussed that um the campaign launch that they were doing for jill and the you know the green party run did you uh, talk about it. I was going to mention her on Thursday. Yeah. Uh, crazy cool. Um, Chris Smalls, uh, Miko Paled spoke um, and about their, um, you know, interest in, in helping out Jill in this cycle. Um, you know, Chris Smalls talking about a green labor revolution. It's so empower, So exciting. I mean, it's like, this is like what people have been clamoring for. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was great. And, you know, they're going to be putting that out on YouTube. Um, the whole zoom stream. That's Um, what I was looking for. Yeah. They were saying that they were going to do that. So, um, if I, if I, um, if I catch it, I'll, I'll try to get it to you too, Sabby. Um, but the, um, yeah, it was lit. Um, you know, people were pumped. Um, and you know, I actually, um, I, I recently watched, uh, the clip you had from one of your shows about, um, the Ralph Nader, um, uh, interview, right. With Rihanna Joy Gray. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'll tell you what. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people know me as like a green party dude, you know, guy, um, I've been, uh, you know, with the Green Party since 2017, you know, as I was at, and before that I was delegate for Bernie Sanders and, 
you know, a lot of things are said about the Green Party, but people don't really know about the Green Party because they've never been involved with it or, you know, um, and, you know, and so Ralph Nader was involved with it. He was our candidate one time and he was only our candidate. Well, he was nominated twice, essentially, once in like 96 for it was actually really the Green Party and then in 2000. But then after that, you know, Ralph always ran as an independent. And, you know, the the year after, I think 2004, when he ran, he was on this the ballot in like 25, 30 states compared to being on the ballot in like mm-hmm. 45, 48 states, you know. So, you know, it's just, um, I, I don't understand, you know, why Ralph has, you know, turned the way he has, you know. He's now even kind of playing the lesser evil argument, right? Um, we know we've heard that a little bit from him, and so I don't know. I I find that a lot of the critiques about the Green Party, you know, um, I I wish people would take the time to get to know it, get get involved with it to some extent, maybe, and see if it's really true, like some of the rumors they've heard, um, you know the the comment that, you know, it's not a working class party. I, I disagree with that. You know, it's because, you know, we're not like coming from a place where it's like, we have all this money and we're, you know, um, we're not like inherit a lot of inherited wealth in the green party, you know, um, that you see like in the democratic and Republican parties. And, the, you know, I find, um, you know, it was also interesting. One of the other things that you said in, um, on your show, Savvy, was that it didn't seem like Green Party candidates want to win. And well, you know, I've said that to you, too, Justin. Well, I I just want to share some perspective on that. You know, Green Party candidates, they want to win. But sadly, a lot of them don't like to fundraise. They don't like to raise money for funding their campaign. They, they hate doing it. They hate asking people for money because they understand what it's like to not have much money to give. And, you know, because the, you know, I've helped out candidates that, you know, I helped out a guy that was working at a group home, like crazy amounts of hours a week. You know, he pretty much lived there the whole time, but he still wanted to run for office. So I was helping him. So you know, you get these people that it's like, they really do want to run. They want to win. They want to give people a choice. Um, but they hate fundraising. And, you know, I talked to a lot of candidates and it's like, you got to do it. You know, if you want to win, you got to do certain things, you know, and, you know, fundraising and then, you know, putting out literature and signs, um, going out and canvassing it, you, you got to do those things. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. We need more people running for office too, you know. Um but you know, I also want to respect the, you know, people out there that, you know, are into ballot initiatives. I think we can do both candidates and ballot initiatives. I think that's powerful and um I don't know. We have a long ways to go still, but you know, I, I mean, 2020 exciting with a lot of opportunity. Uh, so I, I'm sorry, I was spoken at length. Justin. Oh, no worries. Yeah, I was just going to yeah. pivot to Roger because you said ballot initiatives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So here's the thing. And you are, and I know you've seen this. Oh, by the way, am I coming up clear? Am I clear? Yeah, yeah. We can hear you. Okay. So I'm pretty sure you saw the stuff that I sent you. Right? Justin? Yeah, I, I've seen some of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I, I got lots of emails and lots of stuff, but yes, I, I mean, you have a lot of great stuff, Roger. Your your thoughts on this are are fantastic. So one of the things that 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 I want you the, um, that I think the Green Party should concentrate on, okay? This might be a bit controversial, but prioritize running initiatives over running candidates. And the reason why I say this is because you're seeding the ground for candidates, okay? So I hear oftentimes that what helps third parties is um, rank choice voting and star voting, okay? With that said, okay, start running um, citizen ballot initiatives as amendments um, in the states that allow for you to do that. Okay, um, yeah. you're seeding the ground for for third party. Now, now you know me; I'm a party abolitionist. But for you, you're seeding the ground. Okay, there are other stuff that you can do to use citizen ballot initiatives to seed the ground. Whether it's um, you know, public financing of elections. You said uh, they don't like to um, to fundraise or whatever the case is. Well, here's here's something that you could think about. Um, I think Andrew Yang came up with this democracy vouchers. So instead, you just have, let's say, um, you know, a citizen ballot initiative where $200 vouchers delivered to, to people, right? So let's say, mm -hmm. you know, like, let's say poor people, because they don't really have the money, right? Even if it's like public matching funds or whatever, okay? So um, what you do is, these democracy vouchers, it'll be split up. You can either have two hundred dollars um, given, give the voucher to the entire candidate, and the government will convert that to money and give it to the uh, candidate, or you can split that two hundred dollars voucher up. Where on the back of that voucher, you say, "Okay, I want it to go to this candidate in this race, that candidate in that race, that candidate in that race." that can in that race or like i also wanted to finance that ballot initiative as well that's that's being yeah. pushed you feel what i'm saying so i really do yeah. think that you should prioritize running the initiatives over running candidates instead of doing it the well, other way around because you know yeah. yeah go ahead i mean i think we can do with them in parallel though where if you if you have if you put together a team that's like hey we really want to push this ballot initiative and at the same time like hey here's a candidate that's going to run on that right so you have a champion for the ballot initiative then you know that gives it even more traction and so you could build a movement around the initiative and the candidate at the same time right if done in the right way and you know um we got ranked choice voting here in New Maine and we actually have a voucher system in Maine um, in Portland, we won that. So the voucher system you were talking about, we have something similar to that in Portland. And we also have some clean elections funding in Maine. And the reason why we got ranked choice voting here 
is because we actually push the system by running candidates hard and unapologetically. Um, and I, I, I hope that that happens in more states because, you know, I think the people will say, hey, give us ranked choice voting. We're tired. You know, we want to support these candidates. We want to, you know, these are, you know, it, it's good to challenge them and um, gives it even more reason to pass ranked choice voting. One thing I was going to ask, uh, Justin, how did Maine pass ranked choice voting? Was that a ballot measure? It was a ballot measure. Yeah. So it, we had um, there was um, we had some Green Party candidates like early um, uh, 2000s. Um, 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 Pat LaMarche ran for governor a couple times as a Green and did very well. Jonathan Carter. We had also um, a couple of really close uh, governor's races. Um, there's this guy, Elliot Cutler, um, and I don't know. I, he's an, he was running as an independent for governor and um, against Paul LePage and this the Democrat was Libby Mitchell. And Libby Mitchell, the Democrat, ended up being the spoiler in that election because she got 18 percent of the vote and Elliot Cutler couldn't quite beat LePage. Um, so it was around that time because of like this independent candidate that almost beat LePage, but not quite. And the Democrat was, you know, really, you know, horrible in the election. Um, you know, they, the people just said, you know, we need ranked choice voting. Um, and then um, like a, a team got together. I, I know a lot of the people that worked on that campaign. I, I participated on that campaign as a volunteer um, canvassing and uh, getting signatures to get it on the ballot. Um yeah, so it was um, – and there were a lot of people that worked on the ranked choice voting campaign also worked on um, independent candidate campaigns, right? So um, these people were very good organizers, and um, they've done some really great stuff. And actually, I know that one of the organizers that I met through ranked choice voting is now um, way up you know, at the top of the Jill Stein campaign right now. So we got a couple of Mainers um, helping out with Jill, um, Jill's campaign in the big ways. Justin, just just walk because you are the party person here. Why? I'll come to you in just a second, Roger. This, it seems like, uh, because I did see the announcement with Jill Stein that she was going to announce her rally with uh, Chris Smalls and with uh, Miko Polite, which I thought was great because Chris Smalls covers the worker. Oh, yeah. end of the campaign and the Miko Polite covers the Israel uh, and, and, and Gaza end of the campaign. So I thought that was really phenomenal. Why do you think, because it seems like with Jill's campaign through the Green Party, things are up and running and going. Why do you think this did not seem to be the case for uh, Dr. West's campaign? Because, and I'm sure you've heard me say this, but one of my frustrations, it just seemed like Things weren't moving on the ground. I've, I've, I've heard from volunteers that said they haven't been contacted. The ground game just doesn't seem to be happening, but more so it's like, I feel like things are just getting ramped up now with Dr. West's campaign. But when I look at polling numbers from RFK Jr., I'm like, there's no reason why, well, Jill just started, but there's no reason why Jill or Cornell West couldn't have those same numbers. And so I have to sit back and ask, what... What happened there? Like, wh why do you think? I guess I just I just yeah. don't understand. You know, and we've talked a little bit and I, I don't understand in some ways myself. I have a lot of I have some thoughts and opinions, but, you know, um, 
I wasn't at the core of those conversations, right? And, um, you know, I was very a, a fringe player on a lot of that stuff. But, you know, I can tell you a couple things, right? Um, I think some of these things are known. Um, first of all, um, that, so, you know, Cornell was made a lot of decisions, you know, to go to the greens eventually, but then, um, he's also surrounded himself with a lot of people from the Democratic Party. Um, Nina Turner, right, is still there with him. He's very close with Nina. Um, you have other Democrats that were working on the campaign, former Bernie Kratz, you know, um, that Nina's were good there? campaigners. What's that? Nina is there helping? She is definitely a voice that is there with, with Cornell. Like, oh, they're, they're close. So, so, you know, that's, you know, and she's never gone over to the Green Party, even though they've really, um, the Democrats have treated her so badly, right? And a lot of us called it that, you know, they were going to, you know, never give her the nomination. They they did that twice, you know, in the special election and then the um, the following year. So it's, you know, um, and then you, there were other Democrats that were working on the campaign. And it's like, so Jill was there as the transition manager and she was giving like the so, trying to give some direction to Cornell, um, some some direction for him to go in um, as like what a, a Green Party candidate would do. But he also had, you know, he, you know, his wife, Anahita. Um, was making a lot of calls on the campaign and was, you know, very involved as, as a spouse, you know, in the campaign, um, which is not that normal. Um, so some of that was going on as well. Um, the decision to not hold rallies and do things, um, that was entirely Cornell's, you know, he, um, the start of the campaign, you know, the first like kind of public appearance was um uh the the um honoring of Emmett Till right the com yeah. um commemoration of that and um he chose to to meet with the Mississippi Dems or or you know some kind of democratic party faction that was in Mississippi um and you know we were hoping a lot of us you know from the green party were hoping that he would go connect with um a, a great Senate candidate we had there in Mississippi, Artist Bernie, um, who was running this past cycle. Um, and Cornell didn't, didn't really like the fact that we were trying to put him together with a green down there. So it, it was just, I don't know. It was really weird. It, it seemed like he wanted to, was willing to run with us, but not quite. And um, in the end, like, I don't know. I, I didn't like the, the addition of Peter Dow. I think it was, it, it also hurt. But, you know, he also had a lot of negative input from people that were close to the Democratic Party that didn't have good um, thoughts about the Green Party. Right. Um, and kind of steered him in that direction. And that's that's some of my opinions, my observations. Um, right. Of of why it didn't work for Cornell there. And we'll see if it works now. I, I don't think it will. Um, I don't see Cornell getting on the ballot more, in more than 20 states. And, you know, the Green Party, it's interesting. Um, a lot of people talk about like, oh, you only have the ballot in line in 20 states. You know, the Libertarian Party only has a ballot line in 20 states right now, too. Um, even though they've they been have, up. They have 50. 
the, even though they've been on the ballot in 50 states, every single election cycle, you've got to like, especially minor parties like the Libertarian Party and the Green Party, you have to qualify for those ballots again, some states. So you don't maintain every ballot line every time. So it's it's not true that they have 50 states. On, they're not on the ballot in 50 states right now, the Libertarian Party. In fact, they're not in the ballot in Maine. They're not even a recognized party in Maine. Um, so it, it, there's a lot of misinformation about there, out there about ballot access, how hard it is for minor parties. The Democrats and Republicans have the ballot access. Yeah, easy. Um, but, you know, for minor parties, including the Libertarian Party, um, you know, we, we have about 20 states right now. We'll have maybe close to 25 by the end of the year. And then after January 1st, a lot of other states open up for us. And we'll, we'll have easily another um, 10 states, right? So we'll be pushing 35, close to 40, you know, without too much trouble after the beginning of the year. Plus, you guys are used to doing it. Yeah, I just, I, yeah. I... I just noticed like like Jill's campaign is just boom, like just ramped up, like immediately. Like, you know what I mean? Like already got the rally going and all that stuff. And it's just like. I I was floored by um, Chris Smalls, you know, um, signing on. And I mean, he was he was talking about a, a Green Labor Party. And this is exactly what a lot of us in the Green Party have been hoping for, you know, for for some kind of a solidarity with labor. Um, I mean, we, we are working uh, a workers party, a working class party. And um, this is just kind of validating that. Finally, I don't know. I, I was told that Chris reached out to the campaign. It wasn't the other way around. To be involved in this. So this, this is huge because Chris Smalls was very much progressive uh, Democrat, at least when I interviewed him two years ago. Um, and he was supporting, you know, progressive Dem candidates. So it was mm. it's huge for Chris Smalls to come over and say, look, I want a green like worker party. That's huge. You, you should try to get him on again. I didn't know you. I, I'll have to go back and look at that interview. Yeah, that's, it's old, but that's like. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was like before I did live streams. Chris Malls used to be in my intro vid for a while before I, I did a new intro vid. But um, yeah, that was well, like back in the day. Hey, um, Sally, I don't want to tie up all the other callers, so I want to I want to give okay. the floor to over. But um, thank you so much for allowing me to speak tonight and um, contribute to the conversation. But um, love to all. Um, I got a and, question you know, before you in these hard times. I got a question before you leave. Sure. Um, so what happened with the ballot initiative for public power? That's a real shame. Um, so that was um, question number three um, on the ballot, um, the Pine Tree Power. Um, so yeah. we have uh, Central Maine Power um, is, you know, what – is the monopoly that runs the power in Maine. And they're actually owned by Avangrid and um, another company. And like the Avangrid is in Spain, <laughs> right? And um, so there were three ballot initiatives related to this. The, the yeah. first one was like kind of um, to like- ask the voters for permission to um, Something about a billion dollars or something like that for to, power. to allow spending on certain campaigns like this, and then the second measure, which won by eighty percent with eighty percent, 
was to um, keep foreign money, foreign entities yes. from, from investing in our in or spending money on campaigns. So that was great. And actually, the guy, the um, the person, the the two people that are um, helping to run Jill's campaign right now, they were actually involved in that campaign. So that's great. I mean, they're great organizers. I mean, they won that with 80% of the vote, right? Um, and then the third one was the Pine Tree Power. So the questions one and three were actually, they both passed. Or sorry, three three failed and one passed. Um, right. And But two passed. So one and two were kind of competing and uh, one competed against three. It was, so I'll, uh, the way, the reason why, it didn't pass Roger, in my opinion, was the money. They spent a huge amount of money. CMP spent a huge amount of money on this campaign, and they crushed it with all the advertisements and stuff and gotten you know, I, public opinion against it. I think I might have to slightly disagree with that, and I'm not saying the money was not a factor. The reason why I say this was because I called up our main power. I forgot the lady's name. And I tried and I said, I emailed her and I was trying to get her an interview with Sabrina and a whole bunch of other people. And she said, oh, yeah, I'm going to get back to you. And never got back to me. OK. Mm. And I was just like, yo, you're going to need all the help you can get. OK. Number number two, I think the main thing it didn't pass was because I think you guys have one million registered voters. But like for that particular initiative, even though it passed by 69 percent. It was like maybe, I don't know, uh, 500,000 that came out to vote. Something like, but yeah. my, my point was, why they putting stuff on an odd numbered election year? Like, you really don't know how people feel about it because nobody comes out in an odd numbered election year. You know what I mean? Put yeah. that thing on the ballot on next year when you have a higher voter turnout because presidential yeah. elections are the highest vote. It's not as high as it could be. But it is the highest between that odd numbered years and midterm gubernatorial election yeah. years. So, you know, another, another factor, Roger, is that um, that the, the Pine Tree Power was really a DSA led initiative here in Maine. Right. And mm -hmm. DSA, they're, they're good at organizing some, in some ways, but they really I, I think I don't know. They didn't seem to really pull it together for this one. My opinion. Um, I, I had Kit do um, from Hardlands Media. I did not know this, but Nebraska is for power what North Dakota is for a public bank. Mm. Okay. And they got it passed by um, a ballot initiative, a citizen ballot initiative that they did in 1930 because they were having the same issues that you're having with, with monopolized power in, um, you know, okay. in Maine. So they just got tired of it. So in 1930, they just passed a, I don't know if they passed it as an amendment or as wow. a law, but they did it and they have no issues. They got, um, I mean, me personally, I grew up with municipalized power, so I know the benefits of it, but they have mm -hmm. no blackouts, no brownouts. You know, it's, it's, it's low cost, it's efficient, and they don't have to worry about dealing with shareholders. It's yeah. dealing with the customers. Uh, well, I'm, I'm bummed it didn't Nebraska pass. to help you with that initiative next time. Yeah. I don't know. 
<laughs> no. Well, thank you, Roger. And thank you for all your advocacy for the ballot initiatives. And it's really great that, you know, Sabby covers those on the show, too, I think. Um, and really good ideas, good, good ideas for ballot initiatives coming out of this, too. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll keep working on ballot initiatives here in Maine, but I, I, I really do think, and I, I truly believe that we can do both in parallel, the candidates and, and ballot initiatives, but do what you gotta do, bro. (laughs) Be be well, Roger. And and really thank you, Sabby. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Quickly, Sabrina, I just wanted to know, did you get a chance to check out the interview that Dr. West did with Jordan Cheriton on status coup? I did not. Ooh, girl, it was really insightful because Jordan asked him about the situation with the Green Party, and he asked him if he thought there would be any possibility of collaborations down the road. And Dr. West was, you could tell he was incensed. And I was surprised because he was basically saying like, "Um, no, I don't see that happening. And he almost seemed... He almost seemed like he felt a type of betrayal. He what, didn't use those mean? words, huh? What, what do you What do you mean by "oh, girl"? I'm have to watch this. You gonna have to catch that. But it was I was stunned because he made it seem like he was surprised that Jill would step up and run, and it was almost as if he took a type of offense to it. But he was making it kind of clear that he didn't see any opportunities for collaborations down the road. I was like, Ooh. What? yes, you have to see it. I, when um, I you, you asked that, about that, I, I remembered, I was like, oh my God, I meant to mention that. You have to catch that interview because, and you know, Dr. West is generally kind of, you know, simpatico, this and that, but you could tell his energy got really kind of negative around that whole thing with the Greens. But I'll say this, when um. Oh, what's his name? Ralph Nader was talk doing an interview. I think it was with Brianna Joy Gray when he was saying, well, you know, I know Cornell and he's not an organization guy and this and that and blah, blah, blah. I don't think Cornell really thought about or really contemplated what it meant to run for president. And I think one of the reasons Jill Stein's campaign jumps off with so much energy is because Jill Stein understands and accepts being a green. I think Cornell just saw it as a vehicle for him to jump in to do his campaign, but I don't think he really ever embraced being a part of the Green Party, which is why some of the things that they were asking of him to do, he found, you know, he was resistant to it. And Jill kind of mentioned, you know, that, you know, but I just don't think Cornell is really, um, serious and I don't think he seriously understand what it takes to run for president but you know that's just me from just observing but you have to catch that clip of him and Jordan Sheridan it was really insightful Can, can I respond or add a little to that too thank you so much for bringing that up sure yeah I saw that interview too and um I'll back it up it's it was uh it was a Ten, little tense moment there and you know it's it's crazy because jill has been very open about it she's like i'm hoping that cornell will consider maybe you know working 
with the Green Party in the future, in the near future, maybe like once maybe Cornell finds out it's a lot harder to get on the ballot as an independent than they thought, maybe he will come back, you know, or be interested in working with the Green Party. I mean, it would be a powerful ticket. And But uh, did you sense it like I did that he was oh, resistant? Yeah. Oh, yes, I did. And it's it's a, such a shame. It's but, such a shame. But Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, right? The Green Party is going to run someone, right? So if it wasn't Jill, it would have been someone else. Yeah, it might have been Howie Hawkins again. That would have been a nightmare. Oh, oh, yeah, man. exactly. So, I mean, Jill <laughs> stepped up when she needed to, right? And, um, you know, it's uh, so Howie won't run now, right? Or if he does, it's going to be a laughing stock. And, you know, the, the, the thing that I want to, you know, Cornell could have run whatever campaign he wanted as a Green. He still would have gotten the nomination. He wouldn't have had to participate in all the things that, you know, people were demanding of him. Um, so I, I think some of the arguments that were made were were not so great arguments. I mean, there are definitely ways that he could have won that nomination without. I mean, look at Donald Trump. He's not participating in any debates and he's going to be their nominee. Right. Um, so the the. A, a party infrastructure might say, hey, we would like you to do these events or, you know, and there's some benefit to to participating and in, in interacting with like down ticket candidates and things like that. And Cornell just didn't really seem interested in that. And I think totally right there that, you know, Cornell just really didn't seem to understand what he was, you know, what he's doing or how it's done or how it can be done. And, and he then- was not willing to bend to to fit into that system. If you are, you know, if you've been affiliated with the Democratic Party and movement and apparatus for all these years, for whatever, for whatever, but if you choose to run as a Green, on some level, you need to embrace what it means to be a Green. And so, of course, if you go to do a, a speech or stump speech in Mississippi, you're expected to meet with the Green candidates. You know, and my thing is, you know, but like I say, I I was just stunned because I thought, like you, the combination of Stein and Cornel West would have been what the left movement needs because of his stature. But but I have to say, Dr. Stein is comes across like a seasoned pro when she's doing these interviews and none of the questions really take her off kilter. She is right there and she comes across and she's willing to speak to the issues. And to me, it's just like night and day that she is more prepared and more disciplined for what it means to run. And it's, you know, she doesn't have all these, oh, my brother, oh, my sister and all this stuff. That was just tired. But I think she is the stronger candidate, all things considered, because she brings that discipline to the table and she's willing to work with people. And she sees, to my thinking, she sees the bigger picture. Yeah. I forgot to send that to you because I I forgot to mention that to you. Because when you kept saying um, it was either it was both you and someone else was talking about a collaboration and I was just like, well, that's not what uh, um, Cornell West said when he was on with Jordan Sheridan. And I forgot to mention that to you. <laughs> it was like last week. Oh, man. No, I I, I, I didn't know about that. Um, I just assumed that you saw the interview, but I should have still sent it to you. 
I just Man. put the link in the chat to that. Uh, it's actually it's uh, uh, so, stamped. Just, it's a, yeah, just go to his page. That's all you'll see it. Seven fifty, and uh, I actually just—it's it, not very long. I actually just listened to that part, and um, I, I think that the characterization of Doctor West being all worked up or, or angry in that part, I, I, I don't agree with. Um, I think, he, you know, he, he talks about how it, it didn't work out and he, and he does say he was surprised that, that Jill was his, his interim campaign manager. And now she's running her own, her own campaign. And, you know, the way he frames it is, is kind of like, I thought we were into the same movement and he, and he feels all, but she seems to be more into the green party. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the case or whatnot, but that was his, his framing. But I I, I think think to say. I can only imagine how he must have felt after my interview with Jill then. When, when she brought up, like she, she could see her and, and, um, Dr. West working together. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's obviously going to be tension there. Yeah, but I, I, I just, I, I just wanted to to say that it wasn't like he was there getting all worked up or something. You know, people can watch it for themselves, obviously. For Dr. West, he was worked up. He wasn't as hyped as he was with Jimmy Dore. But you could definitely detect attention, and that's usually something that you don't get from Cornell because he's always so, you know, this, that, and a third, and my brother, this, my sister, that. But when well, he's he obviously not issue, happy about how it, he's obviously not happy about how it played out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm saying that's that's normally what you don't really see because he usually has more of a simpatico thing. But you could detect there was a change in tenor. When Jordan asked about the potential of them working together going forward, he was he was clear that he that's when you could see the testiness in there. And I was. I have to watch it again because I, I didn't. OK, I didn't really. I mean, p- people can watch it for themselves. I, I don't agree with that characterization, but, you know, like people can watch it themselves. I'll 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 check it out. Uh, but thank you, Justin. Let me bring in soul. Okay, so what's up? You're on the mic. Just have to unmute. Hello. Hello. Oh, we can't hear you. I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna invite you to speak. So sometimes that usually fixes that problem. It happens. Um. So I invited you to speak. In the meantime, I'm gonna go to Chris. What's going on, Mr. Chris? Just have to uh, hit the unmute button in the bottom left uh, corner. Going once, going twice. It's hot in here. Hold on. Sorry. Okay, going three times. Chris, I can invite you to speak. Freezing outside around here. Um, and let's go on to Joey. Joey, what's going on? Just got to hit the unmute button. Bottom left corner, unmute. Yes, yeah, so I'm inviting you to speak. You have to um, accept that invitation. 
in order to speak. In the meantime, I'll go to, okay, there you are. Go ahead and um, unmute, hit the unmute button. Okay, I'm gonna go to uh, a kid. What's up, a kid? You're on the mic. Just gotta unmute. Go once. Maybe it's me. Is everybody? I can't hear anybody either. So I don't know. Like trouble. everybody else has been able to unmute. Um, bring Roger so, back up to invite to speak. Maybe a kid fell asleep. I don't know. A kid, tell me in the chat if you're here. Um, well, Saul says he tried, and it's not. Oh boy. Maybe, but everybody uh, else is unmuting. I don't get it. Yeah. All of a sudden, the app is. Let me is, see. Uh, I'll invite um, Eric to oh, speak. I think we got Saul. Okay, there we go. What's up, uh, Saul? Hello? Oh, yeah. Invite Eric to speak. Okay. Um, a kid, I'm inviting you to speak, and we'll bring in um, Marco. Marco, you are on the mic. What's up? Hey, can you hear me? We can hear you. Hey, we got one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, talk about a little bit about Jill Stein. Um, I was at a Green Party summit back in like 2019 about doing organizing, and it was like for candidates and for ballot measures. I was there as a treasurer for a ballot measure campaign. Sure. And um, the person leading the um, – sorry, the – did somebody need to say something? No, I was just saying, yeah, sure, go ahead. Yeah, so the person leading the conference was a Green Party member who had Dem exited and left Bernie's campaign and joined Jill's campaign in 2016. And they were talking about how in, the Green Party usually only has about $200,000 to give towards the presidential candidate for the presidential election. And Jill had contributed like $800,000 of her own money. So that's, I think, one of the big reasons why her campaign is are often so much more hit the ground running and professional because they've got like they've got a lot of money from the get-go from Jill. Um, and wow. I, I love Jill. I always vote for Jill. But I think it's a bit of a conflict of interest to have a candidate fund the majority of their campaign. I would rather see campaigns like um, the old Socialist Party or like Shama Sawant where the organization uh, lifted her up. Um, so, but I, so funny, follow the money, connect the dots. This is why I'm always talking about how we really need um, worker co-ops in order to fund our organizing, because if we're going to, you know, how are we going to, or the people going to organize a candidate for one or $2 million every four years for a campaign without some serious money behind it? And the same for ballot measures, you know, the ballot measures cost hundreds of thousands of dollars for county and statewide uh, measures. And where's that money got to come from? It's got to come from seizing the means of production. You're right. You're right. That's that's a. That's a really good point. Um, Shama Sawan, and I have to double check this. I don't think Shama, I think I brought this up before to Shama. I don't think Shama can run because she wasn't born in the U.S. Well, she can, I guess, run, but she couldn't be president because she wasn't born in the U.S. Same thing with Jink Uger. I don't know what Jink is doing. Um, 
And same thing with Dr. Shiva. They're going to run into the same problem. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. Sure. But, but I think that we should, we should be select, you know, somebody like Jill should be selected from the infrastructure of the Green Party from the ground up, like Shama was in her just her city election. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. Whereas Jill's you. campaigns are really successful because she's paying for 80% of them. And she, you know, she's, and that I'm not criticizing her at all. You know, like that's what rich people should be doing with their money. Like Jill, they should be putting it into politics, but ultimately we can't depend on the, the rare benevolent rich person. We need to, we need to take the money away from the rich people who are stealing it from us and then use that money to, to run them out of office. We just should be clear that that Jill isn't it isn't the nominee. She she's running for the nomination in the Green Party. That's true. Yes, um, she probably will win. Though I mean, you know, she she won. The yeah, last you can almost call it presumptive at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, what was that one guy savvy that you interviewed who's running in the Green Party too? That's Jill's opposition, I guess. <laughs> oh, um, Davi. Yeah, you're talking about Dobby. Yeah, he was a trip. <laughs> I, I never I had anyone sing to him, me. But I'm like, he is not a good candidate. I, I never had anyone sing to me before. You know, I I think uh, what what he wants to do is just it's a little bit it's it's different. I think than what we're used to, right? Um, but um, I think that at the end of the day, I think we all know. Most likely, Jill's going to get that nomination. I would, I would say so. Well, I'm still waiting for the, the candidate that's going to put money in, in corruption front and center. And, and I'm still not seeing it yet. And I think there's a potential there to, to inspire and excite tens of millions of people with a campaign like that. And if you do that, then money's not a problem and getting on the ballot's not a problem if you can excite that many people. But you gotta- Well, to be honest with you, Eric, that's the, the closest to that in reference to corruption, that would be RFK's campaign. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, he, he, he's not really, he, he's not framing this argument that, that our core problem is that we have this small number of billionaires with huge resources at the top and they're huge corporations and that they're corrupting the whole system. You know, he's not, he's not calling Democrats out as corrupt. You know, I'm, I'm still waiting for, oh, no, he, for the he candidate. Made, okay. He actually, he has a whole campaign ad. Like he has a whole campaign ad saying just that. Cause I, I actually debunked that on stream because I said, how are you going to say that? And you taking money from billionaires. But he did do that. He did say that they were corrupt, and he talked about the billionaires and all that stuff. Right, well, but that's Jill's also why he doesn't count, because he's full of it. <laughs> Jill's really good on that issue, but even better than Jill was Nader. Nader was always talking about uh, government corruption and, and um, Congress and stuff like that. And he's still yeah, talking mean, about it now. <laughs> you know, but it, it needs to be that, you know, but then you need to finish connecting the dots. You know, what what exactly are the demands as far as fixing that up and what exactly are the solutions? You know, that that to me is a full up campaign that 
because then people can see, oh, well, there's, there's a real path here to, for real change. So I'm still waiting to see it. I think, I think RFK Jr. is the, he's giving the illusion of that. And I think he's given the illusion that you have a third choice, but you really don't have a third choice because he's just as corporate as the Democrats and the Republicans, and he's taking billionaire money. Uh, go ahead, Noel. I was going to say, I think the best chance we had for that type of thing is with Bernie because he had that type of messaging. And at one point, I remember him doing an interview where he was suggesting that one of the first things he would undertake if he was elected was campaign finance reform. But, you know, given the way our politics you know, because of the way they have been run for years, people tend to gear up for the four-year presidential things and then just kind of fade on the local issues unless you're just really, really active in the local issues. I think if Bernie Sanders had did a dirty break and run with Jill Stein on a green ticket, it would have infused the Green Party. There would have been some growing pains, but you would have had that big base of people to start making small contributions. Instead, he did this um, Democrat, whatever thing he started. And it, you know, I'm like, oh, whatever. But I just thought we had a real opportunity there and the green infrastructure was present. And I thought that would have been a great base to build from. And perhaps we would have been in a better position to seriously contend as a third party if we had had that infusion of energy and capital that he had gained through his campaign. But, you know, yeah, well, I, I think, think Bernie kind of shows that, that but, Bernie was a fraud from the get go because he knew this at the time. He knew that was his moment. And he, he, mm -hmm. he betrayed well, I, I think Bernie is, is an example of, of what can work, what we should do and, and what we shouldn't do. <laughs> you know, so obviously, you know, we shouldn't be falling for people that are tied to the to the either part of the uniparty because they're always going to do the same the same thing to us. No, Bernie did, but he does show. Oh, no. did you make it, Saul? Hi, Saul. We we hear you, but um, can we let Eric finish what he was saying? Oh yeah, all good. Okay. And, and um, I'm and sorry, so... I didn't know that you can hear me. I've been fighting over here. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We're going to get you one second. Thank you, so Eric. I'll... Sorry, guys. Oh, no, no worries. We're glad you're in. Oh, I don't have much and to so, say. <laughs> and so the, and, and so, so yeah, so, so the bad part of Bernie is obviously he was a Democratic Party sheep herder and whatnot. The good part of what Bernie showed us is what is possible. You have a candidate out there talking about corruption, talking about the billionaires. And, and Bernie went from no one ever hearing from about him to get, to get huge. And so, I feel like it needs to be bigger than it than a candidate. You know, it needs to be a movement focused on anti-corruption, and I just feel like there's potential there if we could put it together in some fashion for that to be like a wave that not only powers candidates like Stein and and Dr. West, but just um, just becomes a big thing. But I don't know how to unpick that lock, but I feel like something's there. That's a good point, Eric. Uh, Soul, go go ahead, Soul. Hi guys. Hey. Yeah, I don't really have. Oh, I am I am losing my shit right now. I swear to God. 
Um, uh, it's, if it wasn't for you guys out here talking all this stuff, uh, I, I think I would lose it because I don't come from, I wasn't born in America. I had to like come to America, learn the whole culture. I come from Dominican Republic. And you know, if you come from the Dominican Republic, you are basically, you don't see color because we're all, you know, either brown, black or whatever, because we're so close to the Haitian, um, country and, Right now, like looking at these Palestinians daily just die and watching the people talk online and, and these 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 are politicians just 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 not even caring about the deaths. It doesn't even have to be. Uh, I don't even know how to compose the words, but it, it it's breaking my heart every day and I don't have the space in my mind to just talk about these same bullshit politics because we are the majority my people you are the majority if we want to to just stop this whole mechanism that is called the u.s politics we can do it right now but we are all so programmed to to follow some kind of america this is america no you are people first and like i look at palestinians as people first I don't look at these things as the politics here, politics there, religion there, religion that. I don't have the words for these. This is just heartbreaking when you see little children broken apart into pieces. I mean, you have to have no soul, no kind of humanity in you to see this happening daily. I don't care who attacked first. I know the history. I know who attacked first. You know, it doesn't have to be about that. I don't think about it like that. I know who attacked first. I know who the Israelites are. I know who what Canaan is, where Palestinian used to be. I know where this whole thing comes from because when I when I came to this country, I was the last holdout to become a citizen of the United States because my family, you know, they came from poverty and they're like, okay, America is the new, you know, place we can find ourselves and, and create a new life for ourselves, but. I never wanted to follow blindly to something that I see as I saw as horrific because from the Native Americans, from the African slavery to all this stuff that's happening right now, it all traces back to colonialism. And, and you can't look at this world as, oh, uh, I w- I w- I'll have to support America because uh, this is who we are. No, we're not America. We are all immigrants from some other country. And we have to fight for that kind of solidarity. We can't fight for politicians that are making millions and billions and billions of dollars off our deaths. I mean, you can see it daily. It doesn't have to look, you don't even have to look too far. You look at just outside of your community right now. And I I mean, it's I'm just heartbroken and I don't understand how people just still continue to say, oh, this guy's going to win for us. No, we have to win for us. We can't keep trusting the system to to find some solution for us for us because they don't have none their solution is already there they found the solution for us to to disconnect us from each other to disconnect us from how we are who as human beings how we are as diverse but we make up america if it wasn't for our diversity there would be no america it would be just another freaking europe i'm sorry i'm I don't know if I, I'm coming out right, but no, that's, that's my what, heart is broken right now. That's a really good point. So what you were just saying, like, you know, we are what makes America, right? Um, 
So it's just, you're yes. right. Like if it wasn't for the diversity that we have in this country, we would just be like, we could... yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I stop I, it I right now. Me. But we make up the whole majority of workers. Come on. But here's the million dollar um, ahead, no, puzzle that just Eric just hinted at earlier. You're right. We're the majority. We're the cogs and the wheels and the machine that makes this thing work. But you look at it like this. You have a thousand, a million people and they have certain little differences. So the question is, now, how do I reach these people who I have a lot of commonality with and build and tap into that power that the majority represents? But when you begin to contemplate that project in a pragmatic way, you have to come across, you know, how do you reach these people? How do you communicate? Then there comes in the cost and how do we organize? How do we mobilize? And it just gets to be in short order overwhelming. And that's why, you know, for me, and I feel you 100% because it is just so vexing to me. And sometimes, you know, I just get overwhelmed at the, contemplation of what it would take to do that. So you, it's like you look across a field of wheat, but it's like, oh my God, how can I harvest this wheat? And how can I get these people to join me without our differences being hyper, you know, made prevalent and pitted against each other? And the reality is we have the power, but we work within a system that I often call a plantation nation. And the people at the top of the system work to keep us divided, work to keep us polarized, remind us that we're different, polarize our differences. And you spend so much time trying to survive that it's hard to have that extra energy yes. and extra motivation to do the other work. And and it's by design. And like, and I understand exactly what you mean because it is so frustrating. It 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 just like tip, tip. I agree exactly what you're saying, but I'm saying we have to we have to stop following. We have to start standing up. We can't keep thinking that we're 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 ineffective. That we can't unite as one people. Not one people, but one mind against hate, against disasters, against wars. I mean, this, this we we can continue voting. We can continue playing along with the roles that we're supposed we were dealt with. But I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I really don't. Because if I can stand up right now and say, "Guys, follow me," I'll I have like five people going. Oh, I don't know, bro. Uh, I got family to support and. It's like, yeah, imagine your family doesn't have anybody to support them. Imagine all these families that have zero support from anyone. You know, I mean, we can't we have to stop this mindset that we have, that we have to follow a set of rules. We create the rules. We we have noticed that the, the America has created new rules for themselves to enrich themselves. So why can't we? Why can't we find a new set of rules that we can push forward as one people to just push ahead against this narrative that we've been taught because I think because I, I, it's good that I was born I wasn't born here because I had to learn America I didn't know America I had to learn it and I think that is the best part of being a, a, a person that doesn't come from here I don't know how many people of you like lived here all your lives but 
you know, like zoom out, man. You got to zoom out and look at the scope of what we're doing to each other. And as we are represented around the world, because right now shit is crazy, man. And it, it, it doesn't have to be. And we have, like you said, a few people controlling us. Few. And money right now to me, like money, forget money. Right now is survival. That's a good point. Let's bring in Eric, um, the other Eric, a kid. Sorry. Hey, hey, Savvy, can you guys hear me okay? What's going on? Okay, sorry about that. I just had uh, internet connections where I was at, so I couldn't talk, but and I couldn't hear. I Unfortunately, I, I, I got a chance to listen to your whole show today, so that was great. Uh, you know, and, and I had some notes, you know, for RFK, I honestly don't think that this guy – uh, and I've said this before, any person of color needs to be fully aware of this guy. He's been doing a great marketing. As you saw, he was on that Matt Hoffa podcast that he does at the barbershop. Yep. He's, he's been there. He's been on Blad TV. Yep. So he's been putting himself out there, which is really good for him as far as like marketing himself. But that's to a, an audience that doesn't really maybe get in, get into or dive deeply into like we do into politics a little bit. And so it's, but you saw the one guy, uh, the, the, the guy with the long dreads he and the glasses, he's, he was kind of pushing back on his comment of uh, not being for cash reparations and the fact that he, that RFK was having to worry about other people. And that gentleman basically said, hey, why do we need to worry about anybody? This is for us. But, you know, in that instance, that guy did a good job of just pushing back at him real time. But. You know, the thing is with, with RFK is because he's not standing up for Palestinians and because of just of that comment alone, people should know he's not going to stand up for the for, for you know people of color. He's not going to stand up for the less of us, the people that really need the help. When, when push comes to shove, he's going to go with the status quo. And that, to me, is really bad. So more people need, need to become aware of his, you know, the reality of who he really is. Uh, yes. Whether he has, you know, this thing on the on the COVID, which is why I think a lot of the, a lot of the, the I want to call it the, the Anglo, the, the the white folks really like him because of that. But in everything else, to me, he's kind of a lot of BS. And I and I recognize that he's done some good things as an attorney for uh, the environment. But he, but it, that doesn't matter right now. You know, that's not right now. What matters is he's not standing up for Palestinians when it really matters. And then I can go back to uh, Cardi B. You know, Cardi B, um, she's speaking up, right? She's saying something. And she's got, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of followers that she has, but she has uh, millions of followers. And people do listen to her. And people do get influenced by what she says. For sure, people get influenced by her. If not, you know, for, uh, if not, uh, Bernie would have never gone in and talked to her. And... And which is really good. You know, she's really real and she, she'll speak up, you know, whether she knows or doesn't understand something, she's honest about it. Uh, and we need more people like her, uh, regardless of what you may think of her music or whatever. But just the fact that she's willing to speak up. And yeah. I've seen that over the years about her, uh, which is a really good quality. I again, independent of her music. <laughs> but just based on, you know, the fact that she's willing yep. to stand up and, and say something, right? 
and when it matters, because it doesn't matter if you speak about something when when it doesn't matter anymore, then it doesn't matter. Uh, and even I think we were talking about DJ Khaled, the one uh, this Palestinian uh, uh, music producer guy. He's got millions of followers, too. And that motherfucker. And I hate to say that, but he is. He has he hasn't said anything. Right. Nope. Uh, and Drake too. Drake, who's I think Drake is like half Jewish, and he's like the biggest rapper in the world. Well, as far as no, I know, Drake, Drake came out in support of the Palestinians last I saw. Okay, the, I didn't see that, Savvy. I didn't see yeah. that. That's great if he did. I have not seen that. I, I said like two weeks ago he hadn't. So as far as I know. Yeah, um, DJ Khaled, uh, me and. Um, JB unraveled this on the JB and Savvy show on RBN. Um, the reason why he's not saying anything is because who his company is owned by and where they stand on this issue. You really do have to follow the money and then you'll you'll see why some people aren't saying anything. Well, I did see, you know, I seen like little breakdowns on uh, Instagram. I don't know if they, were, they originated from TikTok, but there's a guy who breaks it down like his... Uh, record label when it goes all the way up to the very top is basically a, a you know a jewish guy i believe and and, and and or maybe it's a group of them i don't know but essentially like you're saying that's probably why he's not speaking up but but here's the thing he has a ton of money he's made a ton of money he's got millions of people that follow him right so even if he loses money relative relative to the the average person even if he loses money he's still going to be better off than the majority of people and the fact that he's not willing to just say something and say hey this is wrong and i'm palestinian my family's palestinian anyhow i i just think that it does matter because in the aggregate when you aggregate all the voices when you add up everybody speaking up about something it changes how people look at things. It really does. Yep. And and the you know you can see it with the protests True. because True. the protests have been going on and people have been pushing, the narrative starts to change. It's it's almost like you know uh, once once everybody becomes aware of something, people start to say, oh yeah, I guess there is another way to look at things. Maybe this whole thing with Israel is wrong. The way I've been looking, I'm not, I'm not speaking about myself right now, but in general, the way I've been looking at this is wrong. There's another way to look at this. I need to look at it from the Palestinian side. And the more people talk about it, the more those people that haven't heard the message are going to hear it. And people that listen, that listen to his music, he, he can for sure have an influence on those people because they're going to be like, well, I like him. I like DJ Khaled. He's Palestinian. Wait a minute. I got to look at what's going on with this. So anyhow, I, I wanted to share a little bit about that because I think everybody's voice, whether our voices are not, you know, as big as Khaled, they all matter and they all aggregate and add to one another. No, you're, you're a hundred percent correct about that, Eric. Um, and another thing that I want to add too, is that, um, I, I think that what's really sad is that there are people out in the streets being louder for Palestinian people and DJ Khaled is just very quiet. Also, where is DJ Khaled when Rashida Tlaib has been censured, has been blocked from speaking at certain places? Like, it's just, it's a mess. 
I think that uh, all these people, like they, they already um, have been brainwashed to believe that they have to follow unless uh, or, because they are already have so much money, and I'm pretty sure they have millions of properties somewhere that they have to take care of, and they go like, if I stand up for this, all my money is going to go away. All that money, all that fame is going to go away. But if they stand on the right side of history, like right now, you can just look at the world. The world is standing with Palestine, not because they believe in Hamas or, or the Palestinian religion or whatever. They're standing up for these human rights. They're not standing up for any kind of other thing but human rights. This is a genocide as it being publicized in real time. Like right now, Lebanese, Lebanon was just killed another reporter. They were, uh, another girl from, from Lebanon was killed as she was reporting. I mean, this, is, this, is, this goes beyond Israel. Right now, Israel is trying to take over the whole region. And this is the thing that um, I don't know what uh, video that I saw about the CIA guy goes, we're going to bomb Syria, we're going to bomb Lebanon, and then we're going to go back to Iraq, and then we're going to blah, blah, blah. You remember that one. They're doing that right now. It's happening. Their, their vision is coming to fruition right now. And we can't sit by and go, oh, um, uh, maybe this politician or that politician is going to help us out. No, we have to stand up as one, as people of the world, because this world is nothing without humanity, because this is who we are. If this is who we are, if Palestine falls, we fall, because this symbolizes how all civilizations that fell under colonialism, we have to stand up now. This is 2023, guys. Come on. We're supposed to have like jetpacks and, and flying cars right now. We're here still like in the, the Middle Ages. You know what? Uh, something, something I, yes. I, I think that you just said, Soul, that's really important. I think everybody needs to take that home with them. If Palestine falls, we all fall. Because the thing is, is that's a really good point that yeah. you said, because I just want people to understand, especially those who are African-American that are in the 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 uh, uh, queue or in the listeners portion. Don't think that this shit can't happen to us, too. Even though it's 2023 and obviously slavery is abolished and all that kind of stuff. Don't think that this can't happen to us. Don't think it can't get to a point where once again, we end up fighting for our type of freedom and sovereignty in this country as well. It's, and Sabi, from, can you guys hear me? Yes, 100% did, Sabi. Did anybody hear about the lawsuit where I forget which state it was in, but the federal judge said that the um, civil rights legislation, that the only people, it, the language of the law spoke to the government and that the NAACP and all these other groups can't bring those lawsuits. And so now they're saying this um, decision will likely make its way up to the Supreme Court. This is an example of how this thing works. You know, when you think about George Floyd and all of the attention, international attention that that situation gained, but at the same time, while the elite said, okay, we'll sacrifice this one policeman because he was caught on film. And if we don't do something, the masses will just go on. But the momentum that that moment created just got scattered in the wind because there was no, no mechanism, no infrastructure there to capitalize on it and organize it and mobilize it. Meanwhile, that frightened the 
the state because they saw all of that energy, all that mobilization. And so the next thing you hear is cop city here, cop city there, because when you threaten that power, it responds and you may not connect the dots, but that is where all of this momentum to keep control comes from. When they were, when we were talking about, you know, social media last cycle, the government was working with the Twitters to, to, you know, take down certain um, accounts and this and that. And when that was exposed after Elon Musk purchased it, then there's all this other issue or, or energy to um, censor people otherwise. When we talk about changing this system, it would be essentially revolution because they're not going to let it go easily. And when they see us trying to organize and mobilize, they're moving to work against it as we speak. And the difference is when we think about the occupation of Palestine and what they're doing to the Palestinians, you can look at America as a mature you know, settler colonialist project. They figured out, they've already marginalized their indigenous people to the point of genocide. They've quelled the the uprisings from the slaves and descendants of slaves, and they have tied us successfully to the bottom of the economy. So they're saying, this is how, if you get past this moment, you can normalize it. And this is what it would look like 200 years. But it's the same thing. We are controlled. And it's, it's when you talk about, okay, where's DJ Khaled and all these other people? Just like Soul said, these people are contemplating, this is my income flow. This is, if I stand up now, look at what just happened to Susan Sarandon. These people are saying, I have to really contemplate the cost of standing up because everybody is tied into this system one way or the other. And I am a living witness of these people can just simply do a thing to you and get away with it because nobody cares. Nobody will stand up with you. You just out there almost like John the Baptist screaming in the wilderness because everybody else is contemplating what will be the loss if I say something? What will be the cost to me if I stand up? And that is why I say it is a plantation because they rule us by fear. But if if I'm... I'm, Can I speak? Exactly. That is the whole point right there. you still hear me? I'm sorry. Um, hold on one second, so let uh, Eric go. I can hear you. Okay, I, I apologize. Um, you know, and I don't know if it was who was saying it before. I don't know if it was Ice Cube, but they can't. And I agree with Noel. You know, everybody has to worry about their own uh, living, so to speak. You know, how are you going to make it and, and, and provide for your family? And if you speak up, you know, what's going to happen? Uh, but again, you know, I go back to we all have our own voices to speak. Um, I can speak to a few of my coworkers, those who I believe, you know, would be willing to listen to me. And I have to those who I think would be willing to listen to me, but are not, you know, looking at things from my side. And when I have approached some of them uh, and just said, hey, you know, have you ever thought about this with the Palestinians? The few that I could talk to, they were like, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. And so just speaking about somebody who's got a big platform, that they are worried about themselves. But, 
you know, we only live once and, and, and yes, we have to worry about our own expenses and whatnot, but everything's relative, you know, to what we have, what each person has. Cali is, if, even if he speaks up, he's not going to go hungry. You know what I mean? He's still going to have how many cars he has. And it's very disingenuous for somebody like him who says he talks about God all the time or, or, you know, thanking God all the time is what he does. If you look at some of his posts and yet he's he's got all these videos when all this has been happening about his shoes. So, you know, he didn't have to go out on the streets and protest because I don't think, you know, everybody's going to do things differently. But yes, I think it's it's fair for somebody to speak up about something when something's wrong. And the fact that he right. is Palestinian, because he is Palestinian, people would give him a break if he did especially speak up. If, especially if it's your people, Eric. Yeah. It's his people. Like, how can you just sit back and be so silent and pretend like this isn't happening? Your people aren't being slaughtered. Your people aren't being killed and destroyed. And that's the thing that like really bothers me in reference to him. But to your point, you brought up that we were talking about that conversation with um RFK and 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 Math Hofra. And yes. one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that a lot of times politicians will go on to the hip hop show. So for those who don't know, uh Math Hofra is a, a an uh MC, right? right? So a lot of times you'll see politicians, they'll go on to the podcast that MCs or rappers have because that is a different audience. That is, for the most part, not a political audience. You don't see RFK Jr. going on to the left political podcast because he knows that we are going to challenge him about this position in reference to Israel and Palestine, and we are going to heavily push back. Right. Matt Hoffra, for that long conversation that they had with RFK Jr., which is a long discussion. I only played you one of the clips. They don't bring up that issue. That's right. So you see, this is the thing. This is why people will go on to like the breakfast club and no shade of the breakfast club because they do have really interesting conversations on there sometimes, but they'll go on to the breakfast club before they will call. They will go talk to, um, Brianna joy gray. Yeah. They'll, they'll go on to math Hoffer before they'll go talk to someone like Brianna joy gray, because they know that's someone who knows a lot about politics, especially if you know a lot about foreign policy. And so, so they'll, they'll go on to the shows that are hosted by hip hop artists or MCs because that is a very different audience and that is a way for them to pander to a segment of the black community that is not paying attention to some of the details in reference to the foreign policy issues in this country. So for all the people who are part of that audience that go there for the hip hop stuff, how many of them looked up information and researched about what the fuck RFK Jr. was talking about. How many of them are aware about what's going on with the Palestinian people? How many of them are aware about the fucking genocide that's happening in the fucking Congo? How many of them are aware about what's happening, what the U.S. government is doing in Haiti? You see, this is exactly why they will go on to the hip-hop podcast. They'll go into a black show and then they can say, when people say, you didn't go on to any black shows. Yes, I did. I went on to Math Hoffer's show. No, you didn't go on to any political black shows. And yep. that's how they get a pass with that shit. And I've been trying to tell people about this shit before. During the 2020 elections, when there were over 20 people running the Democratic Party, 
Remember, most of them went on to the Breakfast Club, but they did not go on to left indie media podcasts. Even the large ones, they weren't there. Kamala Harris didn't even go on to TYT. They won't step foot because they know that is a different audience that is paying attention to what is going on politically. Everybody needs to pay attention to this shit. Because what people like RFK Jr. are doing, they are pandering to the black community. And he even had the gall, the gall to say that, like, this is what I think you should have. This rich white man who is a Kennedy, who was given privilege and wealth at birth, at birth. The Kennedys are like fucking royalty in the United States. That's right. It, and, you know, another thing, too, uh, you know, rap music, hip hop, it, it controls the airwaves. I mean, the, the, the music is very powerful. It influences the world now. It's, you know, it, the, the whole world's listening to hip hop in, in one way or another. People are listening to rap, rap. different, different variations, variations of it. And it is powerful. And it is powerful. It is pop culture. It is pop culture. And, I got some and good. The... So, good so, news is. So, yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Just waiting. Uh, yeah, the good news is is that the culture is primed for change, and um, perfect example of this is there. Some of my local rappers. I was at the show, and at their at all of the shows, they would shout "Free Basic." You know, they want to get their friend out of jail because you know he's he's like our Jesus. You know. So uh, every show we'd be shouting free basic. And one of the shows I shouted, they're like free basic. And I'm like free Palestine. And then everyone's like, fuck yeah, free fucking Palestine. Like every, so like at all his shows, he started singing, you know, he started shouting free basic, free Palestine. And that just became like a thing that started happening. Like back in the day, like it caught on. And so I want to let you guys know that your voices are hella effective. That was just one little voice. And it started like a whole little thing back in the day. And especially online in public spaces. Um, I know they'd like to make fun of keyboard warriors for, you know, being ineffective and whatnot. But if keyboard warriors in meme wars weren't effective, then the government wouldn't have a militarized wing dedicated to it. And so I know that I noticed there's a lot of influencers that went from having really cool, normal content to suddenly having content that was supportive of Israel. And I'm like, where is this coming from? Like, what is up with all this behavior? And then I I read this article about um, how people are actually paying influencers to do this kind of behavior. This is like one of the bills they could pick up and, and kind of make money off of. So I started openly challenging some of these influencers like, Hey, why don't you tell us like who's paying you to like not cover this properly? (laughs) Like who's paying you to do this? And like, why do you have this crazy stance? And that's basically all it took for them to stop that material and just kind of move on to something else, you know? And I've seen it happen more than a couple times. So, um, yeah, go to DJ Khaled's Twitter and ask him like, Hey dude, like where you at, man, what planet are you on right now? It will yeah, and I, I wanted to mention, you know, like, I, I mean, these all these things have taken many decades of forming uh, the narrative that that's played by the mainstream media. And I was listening to this this old show. Uh, it was where uh, Julian, before Julian Assange, is where he's at today. 
where he, uh, he could still speak, I think, to, he could still do appearances. Like, I think, I don't know if it was like in 2017. And he got to speak via like television or whatever, via online. And then there were other speakers that were talking about journalism and how bad things are because of the journalism, the lack of real journalists and how much the narrative, because of the narratives of, of these big newspapers, they shape the minds and the psyche of the media and then by extension, the whole population and all kinds of wars get started or promoted because of the, the journalists not doing their job. And then the result of that is more people of color, because that's the way I look at it. You know, when I think of the people in Iraq, the people in Indochina, which is Vietnam, Laos, those are all people of color that have passed away because of U.S. Uh, agendas. And they were all false. You know, and so Palestine is just another chapter in this. And to your going back to your point, Savvy, this is a turning point where we all need to do our little part, whatever we can do, whatever we can, whoever we can speak to, so that the narrative changes for the better. You know, because like you're saying, if not, it's going to come back to us. There is karma, you know, for 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 the U.S. government, what they're doing right now. The whole world is watching. Everybody, right? And, and it's wrong. So it, it needs to stop. And we need to do our little part and wh whatever part we can do, like Brady's saying, you know, that the fact that he pushed back on these influencers, well, that whatever Brady did and made him stop, not someone, someone else is stopping. He stopped somebody from doing that. He did his little part in this. So I think we all can do our parts in this instance of whatever we can do, we, we should do it. And, and going back to Noel, you know, because Noel looks at this from the big, uh, the longer view, because she's been around longer than many of us, and she's able to, you know, put it into words very nicely. I think we can lose hope in, in that there's younger people coming behind us, and they're not buying into this. You know, things are going to change. My hope is that they do change for the better. It'll take time, but we have to do what we can today so those people that are coming up don't buy into what's been happening and that we do have a chance for reparations so that we, we can, can put, put that, that into the psyche of the American population, that that has to be something that must be done so that America can atone for, for their sins. It, and, and again, I've spoken about this before, Savvy. It's not going to happen in one year. This is a, a multi-year uh, strategy that somebody has to put together, but it must come to really uh, to to become a reality. If we do it, we're all going to be better for it, I believe. So. Yeah, I hear you. Let's bring in um Deanna. Deanna, you are a speaker. You just have to hit the unmute button, and then I'll um. I'll come back to you, Brady, as well. Yeah, so Deanna is the bottom left uh, corner. There yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Hi, Sammy. <laughs> Thanks for letting me speak. Um, I I have a few things to say. I'm still watching the episode, which is fabulous. By the way, I'm only an hour, 40 minutes into it. Um, just to piggyback on, on what the previous speaker was just saying, there are some plans out there for what reparations should look like. Uh, I did a film 
called The Black Agenda that YouTube suppressed, but it's on Rumble, just laying out a combination of, yes, checks, but also land, tax-free land, uh, property, things that were actually tangibly robbed from our ancestors. So I would hope everybody would go and have a look at that. And there's a 10-point agenda uh, that includes UBI and and other things for a, a comprehensive reparations plan. And, and you're right, RFK has some sort of give it to an organization kind of plan that definitely is ridiculous. But I do think that people are looking at him because of of the jab, for sure. There's so many people, in, and I live in Georgia, as I'm, I'm sure you probably remember. There were so many people who had to duck and dodge and, and you know, do everything they could to obfuscate taking it because we definitely don't have any trust down here in the South. Most of us actually know men who were a part of the Tuskegee experiment. There is no scenario. And they like to say, oh, well, they just already had syphilis and the the people just didn't treat them to see how it would progress. No, they offered free health care and the men and women showed up and were given shots and then were followed for years, 40 years. And, you know, their progress was monitored and they did whole experiments. And there's no scenario where a bunch of rural men in Tuskegee are promiscuous enough to have just acquired syphilis. And, you know, there were hundreds of them, some believe thousands. But I, I know I personally knew someone who drew, who grew up in Tuskegee. And this is his, you know, personal testimony, which I believe. So there's a ton of vaccine hesitance here. So people are looking at RFK for that reason. And they're also looking at him. And I can say that I fall into this category because he said the first thing he would do is discontinue the constant barrage of, of television ads for Big Pharma. There used to not even be, I, I think we're only one of two countries in the world that allow drug companies to advertise. But Everyone's on a drug now. I mean, 22-year-olds are taking drugs. Kids are on mental drugs. It's just a we have a completely drugged-out culture because of this just pervasive advertising all the time. There's no mainstream show you can watch without seeing five to ten ads. Plus, doctors also, doctors also are paid to push it. Absolutely. Absolutely. They hire these gorgeous people to go in there and seduce and do whatever, whatever they can to get the doctors to just try things. And everyone's a guinea pig. And Big Pharma has zero concern about healing anything. Health is about healing. It's about wellness. It's about maintaining the wellness that your body wants to maintain. We don't have to, to medicate a cut if, or scrape or bruise. Our bodies know how to heal that. Our bodies know how to heal everything. And no person who just went to school an extra eight years will ever know more about your body than you, the person who lives in it. So we're not taught as children to cultivate a relationship with our bodies. And if we have a symptom, 
what is the body trying to tell us? And so we're just on this tangent of, okay, something's ailing. I need to go to someone and let them give me a pill. And that is just out of alignment with harmony, nature, with everything in my, my woo-woo point of view. So that said, my, doc, my, my candidate really right now is Dr. Shiva. And I am looking forward to you hopefully having him on your show because Kim had a, an episode with him on and it was just beautiful. I, he's really, he's a person who identifies the swarm and the the problem with the money uh, and, and the class distinctions. And he, he just says outright, all of these people, he calls Bobby Kennedy, Booby <laughs> Kennedy, and he says they're all on the same team. And it is the team that is designed to prevent the people from unifying and rising up. So as they battle amongst themselves and the reason that the Democrats were more content with Trump than with Bernie is because no one's really agitating against the root of the matter. And he lays it out impeccably. So I love him. I I mean, I think he wasn't born here. Everybody's riding on jinx. Uh, lawsuit. So we'll see what happens with that when it gets to the Supreme Court. But he is really, really, really good. I would love to to see you have a conversation with him or Bree as well, because yeah, I did. Um, I, I I interviewed Dr. Shiva. Did you? So, yeah, I did. It was a while back. The only problem I think I had with Dr. Shiva was that, and I did tell him, like I kept trying to get back to the campaign. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like he just wanted to talk about drama. Like mm-hmm. he did, he didn't start out that way. Like he started out during the interview talking about some of the things that he accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. Then it got into drama. He mm-hmm. wanted to talk about like personalities and say, well, this person won't bring me on their show. This person won't do this. And da-da-da. I'm like, I have no control over these people. Right. There's nothing I can do to help you with that. But I kept trying to pivot it back to, what would you do if you were president? What would you do about this issue? What would you do about that issue? And he just kept bringing it back to, well, let's talk about the history of da da da. I'm like, okay, I think the thing he didn't understand is that my audience has already been taught those things. Mm-hmm. Like we've already discussed those things on the show. Right. They want to hear about what would you do as a candidate? And he's going to run into the same problem that Gene Uker's running into, yeah. which is the fact that he wasn't born here. So he is going to, and I don't see a conservative Supreme Court giving this approval to a progressive candidate. I don't either. I, I, you know, I feel like it sort of makes sense that if they're naturalized, they could be uh, considered a, a, a citizen, I guess, enough to run for president. But it's so foundational that I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think they will either. Um, I, but I did take a look at Dean Phillips over the weekend. I was watching him on uh, the All In podcast or the, the Billionaire Boys, as I call them. They had a hour long conversation with him and he is interesting. I definitely think he's a part of, you know, he's a neoliberal. I think a lot of it is just lip service to some of the things that I wanted to hear, but his history might be something that makes him a little different. Uh, uh, For example, he was very um, 
dismayed at, at the division in Washington when he got there. He wanted it to be, and he's a part of the, the problem solvers caucus um, that is, you know, comprised of Democrats and Republicans who are willing to work together. He said the whole, when they got there, they immediately put the Democrats on one bus, the Republicans on another bus. So they couldn't commingle. And he said, everything is set up that way. And he said that they are, are almost, um, encouraged to be ignorant on issues so that the lobbyists get to write all the bills. And he said he thinks it's totally corrupt. He called all this stuff out. I don't know if he would change any of it if he was president. However, he was calling out some some of the critical things that that need to be addressed. Um, so he he's interesting, too. Um, I don't know. I, I I can't vote for RFK because of the Israel situation. I, I just can't. I, I'm, I'm very pro-peace. But, um, well, there's no but. And so that leaves me with Phillips, maybe Cornell West. I think he, he let that op into his organization. And now he's, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with him. I'm, I'm probably going to vote for him in the primary, though. Um, but yep, a, a lot of people are looking at RFK, um, taking a good hard look at him right now here in Georgia. I can only speak about this uh, state, and it, I don't know. Deanna. Yes. Well, he's running inside the Democrat Party, and as um, former chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz admitted under oath on the stand in the DNC fraud lawsuit. Mm -hmm. They get to pick who they want to be the nominee. Definitely. It's really a waste of vote to even vote Democrat, at least when it comes to presidential. I agree. I agree. And I I haven't voted for a Democrat since Obama. Obama cured me of it. So I wrote in the, uh, instead of Joe Biden, I, I, I could never have voted for him. On, his, on his track record. But Dean, but I just want to say, um, Roger, Dean Phillips knows that too, because he acknowledged that recently, actually. He acknowledged yeah. recently that he was wrong about what he said about Bernie Sanders being cheated. Yep. He acknowledged that. So that's that's the other thing, just FYI. And he went into great detail about it on I would really recommend checking him out on the All In podcast. Because they just let him talk. They asked all their billionaire questions and the things that they cared about. But they started by letting him tell his entire history. And he he's very family oriented. He he self-made. Um, he, he lost his father, his natural father early uh, before uh, I think he was a baby uh, to the Vietnam War. And he was adopted by um, a stepfather who. Uh, they went on to build businesses together, and that's how he became a millionaire. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he's he's interesting. But and he's a thing. Oh, sorry. Oh no, no, no. Go ahead. I, the only way I would consider voting for him in the actual general is I, I would is if he somehow is able to prove to me and my you know, inner intuitive <laughs> nature. Marianne Williamson also is disqualified for me because of her stance on Ukraine and now kind of Israel. She's, she's waffling a little bit, but 
she's you know I, I i just can't stand with anyone who is pro war so okay. you know he is he was a little bit anti anti war i'm not going to in the primary i i'm a registered independent but in order to vote in the uh the primary i have to declare one or the other in georgia well, and if i if i declare republican then it's only the republican candidates i can you know, I, I, they, I don't. I don't know if their ballot has write-ins, but I've been a libertarian before. I've been an independent. I've been a Democrat. I have not voted Democrat since Obama, and I, I don't plan to. But here, here's the thing, though. What? All that stuff about you know, like oh, because um, I, I saw the interview that him and Chris Ball was going back and forth. Roger, you're and a little all... muffled, I think. Oh. Um, what about, what, what about now? You just what sound muffled. Oh, um, all right. So I'm going to go off and go on, on my computer. Cause I just got home. I'm soaking wet. Oh no. It's raining everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Is it raining where you are, Roger? Yes. I'm yeah. drenched. It's not yeah. pouring, but I was walking for a long time. Yeah. He's got a couple well, things I before I pass the mic to Jared, too. I, I can Yo. understand you. <laughs> How do I sound? Am I okay? Yeah, crystal clear. Okay, cool. What's up, Deanna? I agree. I think that um, it'd be cool to see um, Dr. Shiva spill the whole tea on whatever kind of drama he's got. Because like, whatever he was talking about last time, I found interesting. And honestly, the, the drama, yeah, I think the drama is part of the campaign. You know what I mean? That's kind of what the campaign's about. It's about vibe checking everybody, seeing where everybody stands, shaking them up, seeing uh, who's real and who's not. I think that's how Absolutely. we mitigate social psychopathy is open debates and um, finding out who's right and who's wrong. But yeah. um, I wanted to say that uh, as far as what was working with those social media campaigns, if, if Y'all think I'm kidding. I have screenshots of exactly those conversations I have with these individuals. So you can watch me have the conversation and watch their behavior change in just the course of, and I have at least two examples like that. And I always go to the children. I say, and I try to take a scientific standpoint. I say, you know, I'm going to try to be the voice of logic and reason and science in this situation mm -hmm. and just say that the children on both sides of this conflict need to be defended and taken better care of. Absolutely. And it, it tends to be uh, the elders, the decision of the elders that is causing the children to suffer so much mm -hmm. and that we need to hear the voices of the children more. We need more younger leadership for everything. And that seems to be a consensus agreement across the board. It pretty much shuts the whole debate down right out the gate and says, yeah, we need to step away from all this religious nonsense and just like start protecting children. The point that I make is that um, children are more real than any God, anyone's God. <laughs> yes. Children are more real and important. I don't care who your God is. I don't care who you worship. The okay. children are more real and the children are more important. And that uh, is what I've been using to kind of shift that narrative. So y'all could use that little piece of evidence or piece of uh, ammunition in your pocket. And that I also so like good. to use. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like y'all can quote me on that one, man. Y'all can put that on my gravestone. Um, but I also like to call them a Zientologists and refer to it as Zientology. It's a really fun way to get around censorship. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a sweet burn. It really kind of yeah. highlights the reality of the situation. 
And uh, back to what Savvy said, you know, what we allow to happen to Palestinian people is inevitably the fate of all, you know, working class humans on earth. Um, yeah. Because we don't control, I mean, nobody here remembers picking out who their parents are saying, oh, you, you did really good your last life here, have these nice parents. Nah, it's like you're, you just wake up one day in a body. And you don't know if the next time that happens, you're going to be a Palestinian kid or wherever else on the planet. So it's in all of our interest to make the planet a suitable place for all children of the world, regardless of what kind of kid they are. You know what I mean? That's why this we really need to, I think, have a no state solution is the ultimate solution. Not a, yeah. not a one or two state solution, but a no state solution. We need to find a way to, like, uh, get rid of Just these boundaries. Peacefully coexist. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We need to find a way to to scientifically, and logically, and mathematically allocate the resources of planet Earth in the most responsible way for everybody, regardless of who your parents were, and what oh, color you so are. True. You get all that so stuff, true. and so yeah, those are my little pieces of ammunition. And I just I, I gotta say, guys, y'all would be shocked and surprised at how powerful one little tiny voice can be on the internet. So don't let don't hesitate to speak up because uh and don't hesitate to you know be a voice for people who can't speak because that is highly effective yeah. and i'll pass the joint you guys keep it up that Thank was you. awesome okay i think roger is back now um roger i just invited you to speak i think he's trying to go back onto his computer okay roger go ahead you just gotta um unmute i know you were talking earlier oh yeah yes yeah. so i was just saying deanna um we have to get out of looking at the politicians like, um, oh, he's a family man or he goes to church or, you know, that's that's what got us into this mess in the first place. We have to look at two things and two things only. What are your policies mm -hmm. and who donates to you? Mm -hmm. Now, according to Open Secrets, um, 93% of his donations come from large individual donations. Okay. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two things that matters. Now to get a little bit more into it, who donates to his top contributors are Cargill, um, incorporated. They're a food, mm -hmm. they're, they're food people. They own, they, they monopolize the entire food industry. Yep. I'm familiar. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. that that right there. Plus, you know, he got some other stuff. These companies, I don't even know what what they are, so on and so forth. But all, all of that, that is how we got, oh, you know, he seems, you know, I'm not like making funny or anything. I'm just saying, you know, like the that old way of thinking of, oh, you know, remember, do you remember back when um, John McCain was running against Obama and they kept talking about that guy from, um, he, he died, he was a senator, but he was also on Law and Order. Uh, Ed something, I forgot his name. He was just like, yeah, he's a man with integrity. He's, <laughs> you, you know, like they was doing all this yeah. stuff that had nothing to do with policy. Yep. Yeah. John McCain, get it done. You know, what, what the, hell, the hell does that got to do with going to close the income and equality gap, keep us out of war, and so on and so forth. Now, also, I have a, you know, like, I have a list of ballot initiative amendments that's just ready to go the moment that we become a ballot initiative state. One of the mm -hmm. things, one of my initiatives would be to prohibit um, direct advertising to the public by the pharmaceutical industry in New York State. Oh, beautiful. 
Please let it let it be. That's, and, that's, oh my other, God! The other one would be the New York Health Act, which is which is pretty much Tricare for all for New York State. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one would be um, I would like to uh, uh, get um, private stop private equity from owning hospitals, medical facilities, mm-hmm. dialysis Absolutely. centers, um, um, clinics, nursing homes. Um, and probably just outlaw speculation in New York State, but mm-hmm. put it either municipalize or stationalize them, mm-hmm. or cooperatize them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? That would be great. Yes, absolutely. Now I I feel, uh, and Bree and I, when she on her call and show got into a heated debate about this, I pretty much feel that Congress is a wash. I think it's full of whores who take the money from the pimps and do what the pimps want. And I think that we as Americans need uh, an organization, our own PAC called Lobbyists for the People, a completely transparent app that we pay $5 a month into or whatever. And the, you know, 60 million some odd people who never vote are also can also be a part of that. And we decide through our app what we're going to lobby for in 2025. And so at the top of 2025, we go and we get in the money game. We would have more money than any one corporation is willing to give to a particular issue because they usually kind of top off at somewhere between three and 10 million a year. Um, and just buy these whores the way they do. And I think we would be able to get some things done personally because we don't have legalized marijuana federally because the pharmaceutical industry is against it. They don't want psilocybin going around these natural things, actually healing mental illness and actually healing people of everything because they would be out of business. Wellness is the antithesis of what they're all about. So, but if we had our own lobby as the people of America and we went and paid the horse that we've elected until we can replace them all. And you see how long they want to stay. I mean, they, they all want to stay till they're 90. So we pay them. We lobby them. We wine and dine them and we get our agenda done. And we decide on our app through a vote what we're going to lobby for that year. So and let me pick oh, I'm sorry. Brie hated that. So <laughs> she and I went back and forth a really long time about it. And I, I just see a pathway to doing that. It, to me, is the quickest fix. Let me piggyback onto that. So, okay. oh, um, so, so, so here's one of the things, right? This is the reason why it's important to start building worker power through worker empowerment in the workplace, in business. Mm-hmm. And we start um, owning our uh, work as workers through shared ownership, you know, worker cooperatives. Okay? Yes, absolutely. We build I'm something. 100% in favor of co-ops. As a matter of fact, two of the three people I live with <laughs> have are, uh, work at, co- at co-ops. One is a bank, too, by the way. Well, yeah, um, credit unions are, are, are financial cooperatives. Yes. So what you do is that's how you, that's how you um, build power. By um, and you, you take a look. What you do is, you. It, it, this is my thing. 
I don't think cooperatives should endorse anybody. I think they should just give to both parties, all parties, mm-hmm. um, and 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 whoever wins, that we still win. Right. Um, and and you know, like so, it, it's like, yo, look, we ain't endorsing anybody, so don't try to come here and co-opt. You know, or don't try to co-opt the co-op. So mm-hmm. you know, like, no <laughs> running over here and saying this. Or this. Like, look, just do what we say, whatever the case is. But I want to, somebody had mentioned on here, I think it was on Corbett last time, and it flew over my head, my subconscious mind caught it, and then it elevated to my conscious mind. Mm-hmm. And I think it was on Corbett, and it was a great idea, but someone said, I'm ad-libbing, and I think I'm putting in my own idea with it, mm-hmm. but now that we have um, telepresence and and uh, you know, uh, Zoom and all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why not have Congress stay home in their districts? Okay, mm-hmm. among the people. All right, yeah. and yeah. this way you don't have the lobbyists will be like, "Hey, where did everybody go?" Because they're like, "See, when they're in thing, when when they're in D.C., we're not there because we're working." Right. Okay, yeah. so they are under the influence of lobbyists. Now you put you leave them in their districts, and you know they they if they have to congregate with each other, the Congress got to congregate, whatever. You go on mm-hmm. the Zoom, okay? You go on the Zoom, you go on the Cisco telepresence, and you just do your thing. You do your do you do your work or whatever the case is, but you are Caster. here, yeah, in, in your district, okay? Mm-hmm. And if and now if the lobbyists want to come along, well, you got to compete with us, the um, the constituents now, because now you're in our territory, okay? Mm-hmm. So you're going to mm-hmm. see who, who they're talking to and so on and so forth. So that that could be a way of um, breaking up the, the monopolistic hold that the lobbyists have on um, D.C. And not to mention, you know who would benefit the most, um, besides the constituents, you know who would benefit the most? Who? Congress people who live in states that touch the Pacific Ocean. Who the hell? It, it takes six hours of flight to go from California <laughs> to D.C. Yeah. Now, add three hours to that with Hawaii. And I think you might have to add another three hours with Alaska. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure that would be a godsend to, pe- to Congress people and senators from Alaska, Hawaii, California, Oregon, in Washington. I love the idea. My question would be, what is their incentive to pass laws, which is what they would have to do? Because, you know, the, the structure of it all is is in the Constitution and, and by laws. What What's in their interest um, that would get them to actually motivate and do that? The reason I like lobbyists for the people is because they're already whores taking money from the pimps. And they all give to both. Sam Bankman-Fried showed us that they all give to the Republicans, they all give to the Democrats. And when they want something, they come and they say, look at what I gave you. And according to Dean Phillips, they spend 90, 80 to 90% of their time dialing for dollars. So they wouldn't have to do that. If you add up 60 million people times $5 a month, we can outspend everyone times two and give them 
the money until we can elect people who are not so money driven and are not so focused on how long they're going to be in Congress. We give them the money that they want and have have become incredibly attached to. And we get our agenda passed. Well, I think the best way to get our agenda passed is if we got almost all, all of the states as citizen ballot initiative states and we could get it done at home. So, but well, yeah, we do that here in Georgia, though too. Yeah, we we are a ballot initiative state, but we we don't actually have you're not. Wrong. You're not a citizen ballot initiative state. The legislature puts. You might be in Atlanta. Yeah, but we are in Atlanta. For the state, you're not. You have to. You you can only deal with what the legislature yep. puts before you. But here's the well, thing. But we okay. can pass constitutional amendments. Right. On they the ballot. Yeah. Right, but that's. That's what the legislature puts before you. That's what all the states do, okay? But you don't have the ability to place your own initiatives on the ballot to rat- for ratification is what I'm saying. Well, I'm in, saying. In, in my county, we do. I'll, I'll just give Jared a chance to talk. Oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Go ahead. So. Yeah, go ahead, yeah, Jared. Jared has been go waiting. Oops, my bad, sorry. It's, it's okay, I wasn't coming Go ahead, Jared. Hey, how y'all doing? Oh, can y'all hear me? We can hear you. What's going on? Oh, how's it going? Um, yeah, and I just wanted to comment on the on the RFK Jr. thing. Um, the one thing that turned me off from him a while ago, I guess when I was sort of like deciding between um at the time it was him, Marianne Marianne Williamson, and um Cornell West um running. And I still I still do support Cornell West, although I think his campaign could be like a lot stronger. Um, I think all his points are good, but I think it's just his campaign could be stronger. Um, is that RFK? Um, well, he was hanging with a, he he hangs with a lot of like uh, I think they call like technocrats, or, you know. But he hangs with you know a lot of the technology guys, and he's, he sort of runs in that circle. And he also said that he's a free market capitalist. What kind of turned me off immediately? Because if you're a free market capitalist, that means that you'll do anything to. You know, it, it, it just means that money is your number one incentive, you know, over people. So I just I just don't buy what he's talking about. I think that he's just a conservative. Um, he's a conservative neoliberal. That's what I see him as. So mm-hmm. that's vote for him. But I definitely think that you're right. I think that a lot of these platforms like um, hip hop platforms, they, they need like a resident um, political analyst there. Like, really, I, I think that hip hop is definitely grown enough for that. Um, so I, I think that they definitely need that to be more informed or to inform more people. Yeah. Yeah. They, they always do that, Jared. They, they, they've been doing that since like the eight. I remember when, what's her name? Hillary Clinton came on. Um, she was running for senator and she came on Hot 97, which is like, you know, the premier hip hop station in New York especially New York City. And Angie Martinez didn't know what to ask her, so she just asked, oh, do you listen to hip-hop? And she was just like, well, I kind of go back to the school of, and, you know, she started naming, you know, people, you know, Motown and all different types of stuff. That's what they count on. I was so happy the brother with the dreads pushed back on it, okay? Because... I was too. You know what I mean? We knew what he was trying to do, Sabrina. We Mm -hmm. knew what he was trying to do, but... RFK was trying to do. That was some sneaky, low down, underhanded shit. He got caught out there. And then he says, Oh, I'm going to give you a business loan. Word. How? Okay. If I worked. Fuck that. 
if I worked and you and you the boss and you owe me money and you say, hey, I'm not going to give you a check. I'm going to give you, give you a loan instead. You just slap me in my face. A damn loan. Sorry. Anyway. My- no, no, you're fine. And I, I completely agree with the um, worker cooperatives and 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 a citizen's ballot uh, ballot initiatives, because I think the number one thing that people are going to have to start doing is moving away from a capitalist structure, even though we do live in a capitalist structure, but, you know, creating things outside of that structure where we, we fund things ourselves, you know, we sort of, you know, uh, for you, know, I, I forget what, uh, for us bias kind of thing, you know, where we have to sort of find ways to sort of exist out, not necessarily outside of it because you can't necessarily, necessarily exist outside of the structure, but do as best as we can to move away from it because, Things like Social Security, they're, that's definitely going away. And they're going to need to replace – either they're going to get on some real uh, um, fascist type stuff or that's going to have to be replaced, you know, because people are not going to go for that. I think I think you're right about the Social Security. Um, and it's something I've kind of been dreading for quite some time because I had a feeling that it was coming down to that. But um, – I think that, again, it's just, I don't want people to get duped. I don't want people to get duped. I, and I had an argument the other day with a black gentleman who was an RK Jr. supporter. And he literally just, just fell for the reparations bullshit. And I was like, dude, do you understand what he's telling you, what he's saying? He doesn't support cash reparations. Do you understand what he's basically like tell like I was like, dude, this is like a no a no brainer. This is like a no go. You you cannot go down this road. And I felt like it was very obvious to me that he was looking for a hero. So I told him I was like, I feel like you're looking for a hero, man. I feel like you figured out you you had said from day one that this guy is your hero. At one point you were supporting Marianne Williamson. Then she started to fail. Then it was like you jumped on the RFK train. You're looking for a hero, and it's like you can't even admit when this person is fucking lying to your face, man. You can't admit it. They're trying to play you, and you can't admit it because you want a hero so damn bad. Yeah. Preach, Sabby. Preach. Please say this. I need people to hear this because Sabby is on point. RFK Jr., I don't know. Somebody has a hot mic somewhere. Oh, sorry. Um, but Sabby, Sabby hit it on the head. RFK Jr. is not your fucking friend, my people. He is not your friend. I don't give a fuck. I'm sorry. I'm going to say, say some cursing words, but I am, I'm over here talking to people online that support Bobby because they call him Bobby. They don't even call him. You, they are like in the inner group of Bobby. I'm talking to those people. I had a conversation with somebody that is like 61 years old. And she was like, I don't know that Bobby is a Zionist. Where have you found this information? I was like, look, I will give you the information, but I also will direct you to Sabby Sabs, Heartlands Media, to all the indie media. So you can see for yourself the receipts that we have for Bobby. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I was not aware of this. Because I am a Bobby supporter. I'm like, I've been a Bobby. She calls him Bobby. That gives you an indication right there that she already bought into the whole rigmarole 
of what is Bobby. He's a Kennedy. And what these you, white rich not, people love is dynasty. But I told yes. you, people aren't paying attention to the shit that he's saying about Israel and Gaza because for the most part, he's usually not questioned on it. Not on the mainstream media, no. for sure. And no. it was so beautiful the way Glenn brought it out of him and let us all know that not only was he very programmed on the issue, he was afraid to debate uh, Max Blumenthal or, or, or Katie Halper who could actually give him the true history. He was saying some of the wildest stuff I ever heard about Israel, and it was just wildly false. But see, I don't think that these people don't know. I think RFK Jr., as brilliant as he is in the law and the family that he comes from, I think he definitely has more of an informed understanding of the Israeli occupation of Palestine and all of that, but he's doing it deliberately for political expedience. I think he really did think about running yes. for president and he sat back and they look at the electorate and they try and figure how they can dissect it, where they can peel off disaffected voters from this one, disaffected voters from that camp and then you know, try and move for the independent voters, you know, because they know the majority of people in this country don't vote. Um, the number of people who don't vote is larger than either of the two major parties. And I mm -hmm. think he's been making these calculated moves because he's just trying to carve up enough of what he believes would be the center space. But I don't, I think a part of the big problem that we have with, you know, the um, electoralism is people have no moral center. People know that this is a race and this is how this race can be won. And if I can get this amount and that amount and this and that, I don't think anybody really is concerned outside of some of the um, third party candidates like a Jill Stein and Dr. West and, you know, from the language of Dr. Shiva, but I don't think any of the people otherwise are really, you know, thinking about um, what it is that the masses want, because this is a capitalist empire and it, it demands a certain allegiance yes. from you. And these people know it going in. And the people who are talking about deconstructing it are the ones who will not get any support and any airtime from the media and this and that. And they will be labeled all kinds of things because they have to control the narrative to manufacture the consent around the preservation of the empire. So, you know, and I do get disenchanted sometimes because I'm like, this thing has been going on this way since it began. And if you really take the time and do the work in the politics, you'll see it and you'll see it everywhere, you know, but people are so lazy when it, and I say that having been one of those people, they want to listen to the least soundbite. Oh, I heard this on this program. But if you're really serious about this, you really have to devote some significant energy so that you begin to understand who these people are, you begin to hear the um, 
differences in what they're saying and and the differences between the messaging that they say to this audience to that when jfk jr was doing that interview in the barbershop i was wishing one of those guys would have said can you explain to me why you think it should be important to me what other people think about me being made whole because that would force RFK or anybody else to explain in their own way that, well, white is the default and I don't want to do anything to ruffle their feathers because that's really mm-hmm. what they, that what he was saying. You know, we don't want to do anything that's going to upset the white people, but the white people who would be upset by black people being repaired are the white people who have a vested interest in us not being pre- repaired. Exactly. So it's like you have, if he had turned it, I think he did a good job in the way he did frame it saying, well, I'm not concerned about what other people think about me being repaired. But I think a more poignant question would have been, why do you think I should be care- And why are you concerned? If I've been the one who's been injured, when do we come to the courts and say, oh, but we want to shape this settlement or we want to shape this reparative package around what other people think? They didn't do it for the Japanese. There was no big, broad national discourse around, ooh, do y'all think these people should be repaired? That's right. No, they just did it. But when it comes to us, it's always, ooh, what would other people think? Because they realize that if they unhinge us from the economic floor, somebody else is going to have to be on the floor. And they know it's likely to be a combination of them. Because exactly. when, you, when you talk about reparations, yep. what that means to the whole of America is a recasting of the social structure. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, we understand that the apex citizen in this country is a rich white man at the top and the the bottom person is some form of a black person generally descended from slaves. Mm -hmm. And so if you begin to unleash that and change the economic dynamic, that's going to change the whole social structure. And white people, especially very poor white people, have gained their identity from their race. And so if you threaten to to repair Thank us, you. that threatens how they see themselves and who they understand themselves to be. So that's, it's it's really. That's so true, Noel. Again, though, that goes back to I, caring more about them and their well-being and how they feel about a thing than repairing the damage and the, the karma that this country carries. So, you know. It's, to me, it comes down to a simple thing uh, that existed during the abolitionist time. You're either an abolitionist or you're not. And for me, the line of delineation is with my pink friends and, and uh, co-workers and loved ones is you're either for reparations or you're not. And if you're not, why? You look at what our ancestors built. You see what you're living on, you understand the privilege that you enjoy. You understand the structural pieces that have been put in place to keep things at this status quo. Um, and I, I work in real estate where redlining is still alive and well all over this country. So, you know, there's there, there are systemic situations that 
if we had a level playing field, we have shown what we can build. And and this is in, in my film. We built Black Wall Streets, not just in Oklahoma or Rosewood, but all over this country. And they were systematically undermined, burned, flooded like Lake Lanier or highways run through them throughout the country. So, it, again, it's structural, it's federal, and it's owed. It's a debt that is owed. It's going to have to be paid in, in order for America to really balance balance its karma let, let me put it that way i'm i'm may you know. i add something to diana's to diana yeah, by the way diana you're 100 percent right you're 100 percent right you know because uh if you look back into history um the the settlers also put stipulations on who got to promote their businesses and who got to promote who who can actually make money from their businesses so this goes beyond what we're thinking. Like this is, this is a colonial state. We can't deny that. This has been always a colonial state. So when you say when when all these prolific black, hardcore, beautiful people that have stood up, how has that how has that affected their their livelihood? their 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 voices we are shut down you could be black you could be latino you could be whatever we are always shut down by this colonialism power and the thing is that colonialism has shifted to zionism because zionism is a product of the i'm going to say not see movement because they think that they're the superior race and they don't see it as equals. They have never seen us as equals. So this goes beyond the rhetoric that we're speaking of right now. They they make the rules. They shift the rules always to make themselves look good and us look as the crazy people. The 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 uneducated people. We are so educated on America beyond any white person that says America is about good and justice. We we have been marginalized. I am not black, but dude, I feel the black pain. I'm I I, I have 30% black in me, by the way. Mm-hmm. I I was born in Dominican Republic and if you're born in Dominican Republic, my dude, I can't deny I have black in me. Mm-hmm. But I don't I'm not going to use that card to talk about my struggle, because my struggle is for all people, mm-hmm. not one race, because we're all one race, human race. And a white Zionist people think that they are the superior race. And what happens every time somebody stands up and says, I'm the superior race, we have to stand up against it. We can't stay quiet. And my sister right here that she makes movies, she makes documentaries. We have to support my sister right here. And as Noel is a great speaker, a queen in my consciousness, mm-hmm. she's a queen. Sabi Sabs is a queen in my in my consciousness because she's standing. Case study, Roger Meadows, they are all part of this awakening that we're going through. So yeah. we have to support each other because they're not going to support us. And we have to remember to that, that that is so true. And we have to remember that we are the global majority. 
they're, there's just a handful of people who control the resources and, and do these things and colonize places and steal natural resources from, from countries. The majority of people want to live in peace and harmony. And I think this is why China is moving forward now, because China, having been the recipient of, of that sort of uh, Zionism, which is what Dr. Shiva calls it, he, he does call it a universal sort of Nazi Zionism, as you just said, they understand that peace is the only way forward. Why are you continuing to try to sub- subjugate this group and that group and, and move over here and, and have 700 bases all over the world? It makes no sense. And I, 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 there's no logic in it at all. There are more than enough natural resources for everyone to live lavishly. And beyond, I mean, beyond yes. not making any sense, it is unsustainable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And not because we're going to run out of anything unsustainable because the people are going to rise up. People are not going to continue to look around and see an abundance of everything. And they have free energy. They know how to give us all free energy, free water, free everything. Let us grow our own food and and live completely free lives. But they want people on a a hamster wheel and in subjugation to a structure that they created. Oh my God, yes. That's the best analogy I ever heard. Hamster wheel. We're all on a hamster wheel. You mm-hmm. said it, Deanna, 100% right there. We're on, on a hamster wheel. We're giving enough to sustain ourselves to survive. But we're not giving enough to actually lead. And thrive. And be at peace. And, and, and fulfill our purpose. Thank you. Yes, we, thrive. We came here yes. to give the earth yes. our own special set of gifts. And people are not being allowed to do that because they're struggling to eat. And that's unacceptable. And I, okay. there, I just, I just, I just want to say, too, like, the thing that really bothers me is the fact that when we talk about, like, what people need in this country... And when we specifically talk about what black people need, the thing that bothers me is that once you say black people, blah, 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 it is always diverted to what about everybody else? Absolutely. And that's the thing that bothers me. And so me too. Mm-hmm. When, when, when I when I hear people mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. that. We should not give, you know, like against again the RFK Jr. thing. We shouldn't give populations because that will upset other populations. That again is showing you guys that once again it goes back to the European colonization settler mindset, which mm-hmm. is that the European ideology, the European mindset is always the dominant factor in everything else is after that and that's what people have to understand and this is why i get so frustrated so when people say oh you're you're being too hard on rfk no i'm not because i see through this bullshit because we've been through this before and i'm trying to explain to people this guy is not going to do anything different for black people that hasn't already been done if he's telling you that he doesn't agree with cash reparations but we already know that Japanese Americans got cash reparations in this country, which is why I had to address that tonight, because it was very apparent to me. I'm che- I, 
looked at my inbox for just for a second, the number of emails that already came in my inbox just from tonight's show of people mm -hmm. telling me they did not know. Mm -hmm. Most people don't even fucking know. Most no. people don't know. And that's why I had to bring that up as an example and say, FYI, for those of you who are against it, it has already been done, but it was done for another group. And it was mm -hmm. done by a conservative president. So mm -hmm. people need to know this and people, and I'll probably tweet this out tomorrow. People need to know this and people need to understand. And then that you put that pressure back on RFK and you ask him, RFK, you against cash reparations for African-Americans who are descendants of slavery, but Japanese Americans received cash reparations. So what's up with that? Exactly. And, and Native Americans received land and, and millions of our ancestors were native to this land when Christopher Columbus got here. This was wanna, land full of our people. Yes. And By the so, way, I'm going to jump on. I'm going to. I'm going to jump on to what Deanna said. Black people existed here on this land before Christopher Columbus. Mm -hmm. By the way, because this bullshit that history tells us that black people did not exist. Look at the Olmecs. The Olmecs look like Africans. <laughs> exactly. We. That's have in my no movie, by the way. <laughs> Olmecs, right? Yeah. Oh, my sister, I, I hear you so loud and clear because I looked at the face of the Olmecs. Yeah. This is prior to the Mayans, yes. to the Aztecs. Yep. All this southern, you know, bullshit that, you, that you're taught. The Olmecs look like black people. Absolutely. Undeniably. So, I mean, so undeniably like you can look at the feet i mean i don't even have to contest it i mean I i'm already down mind. with the whole you can story better i do what? one better did you guys know the first italians were the moors yes yes right now the first the first russians yes. were as well and putin has been putting those images out yes and because he has respect for where his people came from in the lineage, that we're the parents of the planet, and they know that. Savvy, they know. Do you know? So do you know that that the Russian? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump onto this, uh, Deanna. You're 100% correct. Do you mm -hmm. know that the that the um, Russian? They have a black Jesus. They don't have a white Jesus. Yeah, because that's what Jesus was, and his name was not Jesus. They don't, they don't the look way, it was Yeshua. <laughs> Thank you. Listen, let me explain something to, to um, people in the chat who may not be aware. For those of us who grew up in the church, in the Bible it said, Jesus had hair like wool. Right. What and feet like burnished you know? brass. Exactly. Burnished brass. Not shiny brass. Wool, burnished brass. Wool. Right. But they, and and, but and they if you look at a sheep, he was they not blue-eyed. They have locks like like I have. The sheep, their locks. hair will it locks up. If you if you see a sheep in the wild, you look at them. It's curly, very very curly, and around the bottom near where like the mother's udders are, it's it's locked up. It's like dreadlocks. <laughs> I was like, what? But yeah, it, it's right there in the Bible. Ethiopia, very clear. exactly the oldest. There's also. I think Jared's trying to talk, but it's coming in choppy. I think you're coming in choppy, yeah, Jared. Jared. Oh, can can you hear me? Ooh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank y'all. And um, yeah, yeah, was, yeah. The Ethiopian church is one of the oldest churches out there. Um, I'm not Christian myself, but and there's so many Fact. different 
interpretations of the Bible and so many different things that have happened over the years. Um, so it's, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot of a lot of information. Yeah, I just found out that the Ethiopian Bible is the oldest and the most complete. It has yeah. more books in it than King James and the other versions of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, and, and the other that thing is 100% is too, right, is, Roger. The other thing is, too, is just that, like, again, like, I still, I still remember when people were telling Cornell West not to talk about white supremacy. And I'm like, do you guys not understand what he's referring to? It's not just about racist organizations in this country. It's about the overall structure of white supremacy throughout the world. Why do we think what's happening to Palestinian people is happening? Why do we think what's happening to the Haitian people is happening? Why do we think what's happening to the people in the Congo is happening? Why do we think that this pressure from the U.S. government, the, 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 the taunting that they're doing towards China is happening? This is, again, the European settler mindset. This is what happens, and this has continued to happen. And, and by the way, the, the colonization that is happening in Israel, the removal of Palestinian people from their home, pushing them into an open air, basically concentration camp. That is the last stage of the European colonization project. And that's what people have to understand. The goal is not just to remove the Palestinian people. The goal is also to remove people from Lebanon and Serbia and then parts of uh, Jordan as well. Like yes. Netanyahu has said this blatantly himself when he talked about the Greater Israel Project. So what people have to understand is that, again, the United States government is backing white supremacy just like they backed white supremacy when they chose to back Ukraine in the Azov Battalion, which has Nazis in the fucking battalion. And the hypocrisy of that is just stunning. It is stunning. They were flagrant Nazis. And now everyone's called an anti-Semite if they just breathe wrong and, and happen to say that Palestinians should be free. It is bananas how blatant it is. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. So. I, I want to pivot back to the Social Security question that you was talking about. It might not be here. One, this is the reason why they need to lift the cap. Two. Yes. I have a I have a plan for um, for a ballot initiative that provides a state version of Social Security where it says, okay, if there's an income inequality gap between your cost of living in your state and federal Social Security, then the state Social Security would fill that gap. Nice. That's really nice. I feel like you, if well, I feel like if the state don't, because um, I really do feel like, because I have talked about this before too, I really do feel like the next stage is to take Social Security, um, military benefits, and I feel like if the states don't, um, like other people's states, don't um, help the people, the government is going to take it just like they did Roe v. Wade. And that's the crazy, because that was crazy to me, but I had a feeling that was going to do it. And you see how Republicans are trying to do this too, but it's it's Democrats too behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But listen, guys, like there, and I I totally hear where you're coming from with that, um, Notori, but there is this, this, 
a certain level of animosity towards black freedmen in this country. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Everybody else in this country gets a pass. Even people who aren't from this country who come here get a pass, except for black freedmen. Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example with the entertainment business. Don't you guys think it's kind of strange that you now have over the past couple of years, when we look at these movies where it is a biopic of a particular actress, musician, etc. Why is it that now over the past couple of years, that role is being portrayed by someone who is not a black freedman, which that person was. And I can give multiple examples. Fred Hampton in the movie, uh, Judas and the Messiah. Now, no shade to the dude who played Fred Hampton. He is a great actor. But why, what you mean to tell me you couldn't find one black American in this country to play Fred Hampton? So you had to get so someone from Britain? They did, so now they just you made him the betrayer. No, Wait a no, minute, no. There, there, there's, no, there's no, another no, no. example. Another example. Cynthia Erivo as Harriet Tubman. Um, uh, right. Dan, David Oyelowo as Martin. Yes, yes. This is my business. This is the business I'm in. It is systematic. It is um, driven by the people who run Hollywood. And they're afraid of the true native fire that FBA actors have to bring to those roles. So there's a, a laid back sort of smoothed out version of a Harriet Tubman or even a, 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 just, I mean, the list is extremely long. So I, I, you, you know the Same list. Thing, like why, why, why did they, Zoe Saldana? Come on. Again, great actress. We boycotted her. She, she, why did she they, had to come back and apologize. They hired, Listen, Zoe Saldonia or Nina Simone. Yeah, is 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 Dominican. She says she's Dominican, right? Why did they pick her to play Nina Simone? To the point where they had to actually darken her skin and exactly. give her a nose prosthetic because obviously she don't look shit like Nina Simone. And you Nina Simone, a black Simone. American woman. She, to, of to course, they could. Role? There was Indiare. There was uh, uh, Fantasia. There were people in contention for the role, but they decided to do that. And 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 so that movie was boycotted. It failed miserably because foundational Black Americans and freedmen were like, "No, it's a no." Because Nina was so pro-Black, every song was about lynching and what what was going on, what she was seeing in her daily life. So it was ludicrous. For yes. that girl to play. And she had to come back and apologize. She did an yeah. open apology. because yeah, she... she And she did. Because the, the, the thing is, is this, is that, and don't get me wrong, it happens with white roles too. I, I've noticed another thing too. I'm seeing the same thing. Why are, you, why are you guys hiring British actors to play biopics of American-born people? So I get it too, but I see it happening more so on the African-American side. Mm -hmm. And my whole thing is, again, like I said, they have an enormous amount of animosity towards black freedmen in this country. They don't want us to have anything. They don't mm -hmm. think we should have anything. And the ones who do get to have something are the ones who sell out or kiss a lot of ass, like mm -hmm. people like Will Smith, 
Yeah. Like like those people. You got to tap dance out there for these fools. Even Indeed. though Sammy, Sammy, um, what's his name? Sammy uh Dave. Davis Sam, Jr. Sammy Davis Jr. Mm-hmm. Even though Sammy Davis Jr. is no longer alive, mm-hmm. and that was a long time ago, black people, particularly in the entertainment industry in this country, are still tap dancing for these fools. Exactly. They definitely are. And that's Sammy, it's because they go to them for the budgets. They are asking them, they're going to Massa with their hand out, saying, Can you help me make a movie? Spike Lee did not do that. He made Malcolm X with black, other black stars who chipped in to finish getting that movie made. Okay. Tyler Perry is the prototype. He has the largest studio, period. It's bigger than Universal. It's bigger than MGM. It's bigger than every Hollywood studio. It's five minutes from my house. And he is the prototype, but guess what Hollywood does? Oh, you don't want to see Tyler Perry movies. His movies are terrible. Oh, he's just bad. And so they malign him because they don't want people looking at him and saying, wow, I can be independent and just do my own thing. I can produce movies myself. I can create myself. And so it, it there's a wonderful book, and I just retweeted yeah, but it today. Me, can, I, can I jump in right here? Please do. Can I jump in right here? Why do black men, why do black men have to portray themselves as trans men to make comedy? Again, that's a, that's an old like Hollywood trope. On, I think two movies. That is that is to de, de, to to reduce the power of the black man, right. so they have to look like a woman, so they can actually make a movie to actually sell tickets so white people can actually buy those tickets so they can be gentrified. It's more than that. It looks like a white woman. It's the bending of the knee. I I, I don't know if y'all remember a show called The Love Boat that came on a long time ago. Um, Oh, oh, yes. I used to love that show. It's a great show. It's probably somewhere reruns now. The Love Boat. Yes. Remember the guy Isaac? The Love Boat, my brother. The Love Boat. So Isaac, Isaac became a director later. and I was Isaac, play Isaac was the only black person on the show, right? He was the only black person on the show. He was the bartender. And he was a director. And I, I did a play yeah. with him with, with some other people. He literally told me out of his mouth that I was like, where have you been? Why haven't you? I've seen you in films and stuff. He said, Hollywood has a thing. If you're not willing to put on a dress, they will not elevate you. Yep. He, and he said, and I'm not willing to put on a dress. So then I started going back and everybody, Eddie Murphy's had a dress on and this one's had a dress on. That one's had a dress on. And Flip Wilson had a dress on back in my childhood. They all People, did. You know, they all had all worn dresses. So that's their bending of the knee in order to be able to be in movies. So this is why, again, in my film, The Black Agenda, I'm talking about how we have to seize power ourselves for ourselves because they will never they've proven they will never share equally they will never create a level playing field and so we have to do for self now the reparations are old that's another whole situation but everything else we are capable of managing creating for ourselves especially in show business yeah um 
I want to say this about everybody. Like, I'm not in the um industry, but if you just look at what, like, Monique and other people say and Wendy Williams said, mm-hmm. it is a game you have to play. And the game is you got to do whatever they say that um give you these roles, suck a little dick, go to up there to the hotel rooms, do what you have to do. Because she said some people, you will be shocked at some people that go. Yes, it's for talent sometimes, but you'll be shocked to see because they used to call it the casting couch, but it's something much deeper than that these days. They say it's you go up to the room, you do what you have to do to get a role, and it's a whole bunch of that shit going on. And you have to, just like Nick Cannon, they um when he said it about Israel, whatever, mm-hmm. and then he came back and had uh-huh. a tap dance and clown he around. Had to, he had to genuinely let him know who was in um charge. And then yep. they did it to Dave Chappelle, but he left. Right. Dave Chappelle did not bend the knee. He left. Yeah, he did. He left, they- came back and got more. So that's even better. But I hate how they do, especially black ones, because just like these, especially these news people on um, MSNBC, CNN, I just want to slap the fuck out of all of them. Because it's like y'all sitting there looking dumb as fuck, knowing y'all know what's really going on. But I understand you got to get a check, but damn, really? But that. That also goes back into the, the immigrant thing. And I wish there was no division between those who come here and those who are descendants of the enslaved here. But Joanne Reed is an immigrant. She's not from here. Not and she has no loyalty to us in terms of anything. So you'll find her on the wrong side of our issues a lot. I, I think and, one... Oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, why well, no, don't no, She's... <laughs> it's a coon. Really important. <laughs> Deanna. Yeah, I'm here. Do you By know- the way, Natori is the most amazing person on Twitter right now. She says it like it is. No yes. holes barred. Natori is my favorite on Twitter. I mean, you should follow her because she Definitely. does not mince words. She tells you like it is. I got to find you, Natori. I'm going oh. to do it right now. Yes, I'm listening. Um, You know who their biggest accomplishment was in terms of what was, you know, the emasculation of black men, more like coercion. It's one thing if you say, hey, I'll do it. But you know, you know who their biggest accomplishment was? Who? Ben Ranks. I I knew it. I knew it. And they did not, they did not. Oh my God. Yes. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. It wasn't enough. Okay. Now I'm talking about, we're talking about coercion. We're not, we we're not talking about, hey, if that's something that you want to do, that's a different thing. Right. Absolutely. But I want to. So I just want to make that clear. Right. Okay? Right. It wasn't enough that they put him in a dress. And I forgot that. I forgot the name of that movie. Um, but. Holiday Heart. They, I remember right now, Roger. Holiday uh, Heart. Is that oh, what it was? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. it, it wasn't enough that they did that. Yeah. Paul, Paul but, uh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Oh yeah, Pulp yeah. Fiction. That's exactly yeah, that what it was. Quentin Tarantino is a racist mother. Look, he he's, he plays this thing. He plays this. Quentin Tarantino plays this Michael Rappaport type of thing. Like, hey, I'm I got some I got some swag to me. I'm I'm down with the blacks and so on and so forth. And. Um, Roger, Roger. I, I remember that, uh, that story of Hollywood, whatever. <laughs> Both of you would no, talk but remember that time. movie that he made, uh, 
once upon a time in Hollywood, whatever. Uh-huh. He yeah. fucking shitted on Bruce Lee. Who who who, who um, did what? No, Quentin Tarantino basically took the names Quentin, from different. Quentin cultures. Tarantino. He doesn't like Bruce he, Lee. Quentin Tarantino basically took things from different cultures and made money off of it. That's what he, he did. We yeah. call those culture vultures. Um, <laughs> Listen, but, I want to make sure that yes, yeah. coming because Case Study QB is here too. What's uh, up, Case? Case Study hey, QB. Case, I want to hear from you, bro. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, loud and clear because I'm using my camera microphone through my um, system. Live and clear, my brother. You can speak. (laughs) Awesome, awesome. So, DJ um, Casey, Khalid QP, and I'm just going to say real quick because I'm (laughs) I'm on a call and I'm going to come back and I have a lot to say. But I just want to say that I didn't get a chance to talk to you all, and especially Savvy, in a long time. And I heard Savvy had an operation. I guess it's a couple of weeks now, so I hope you're doing well, and I and I hope you're still doing um, fine. Um, I have to finish up this call, but I'm, I'm, as soon as I'm, I'm done, I'm gonna unmute and then I'll, I'll talk. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Case. Um, Eric. Um, I'm in By the way, Savvy, right I was now. so I'm happy. To see, Eric, I'm in Streamyard right now. Could you just um, test to make sure the volume is there? Because I don't know if I did this right. Okay. Go ahead, Soul. Sorry. I want to play a clip for you guys. It's really funny. No, I was going to say, I'm, I, you know, my, my, my godmother, she went through breast cancer and she had like one of her breasts amputated because of the breast cancer, but she has survived. And when people call, talk about cancer, you don't understand how it affects the family. It, it It's just like that. This word cancer, something that, science already can actually change but they won't and certain like ovarian cancer something that science could already change and fix but they won't but i'm so happy that you have not been taken by the sea so i love you my sister i hope you stand up and you keep fighting for us and i i know how it feels to be in that fear of having cancer oh thank you so much soul thank you so much i i will say i appreciate um i appreciate like everyone that's like reached out um thank you guys so much like i i really do appreciate that um it's really interesting i've i've heard from people i did not expect to hear from but I haven't heard from people that I would have expected to hear from. So that's really interesting. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, um, no, thank By the you way, so Abby, much. you're a powerful voice. You are a powerful voice. Yeah, I saw some people who I was just like, wait a minute, this person was showing Sabrina some some love? You know, it's somebody from the from the FBA reparations community that was... You know what I mean? I was like, word? Okay. Sabby, a lot of people people watch you. They might not subscribe or um, like your stuff, but a lot of people watch you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You'll only find out about them once you you say something that they don't like. Then they'll come out the woodworks. That's how that works. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Yeah, I was surprised. Like you said, Roger, I was surprised to hear from 
some of them too. Like I was just kind of like, really? I was like, after you've been yelling at me all this time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know what what they're going on. I, I, I heard I heard you mention that you had a procedure. I didn't <laughs> know you didn't go into detail in the episode um, that I was watching. But whatever it is, trust and know that your body knows how to restore itself to perfect equilibrium. It is your home. It is your friend. It is where you live, so its desire is to please you. So make your relationship with your body your your fundamental relationship. And like I said earlier in this call, no white coat who just went to school a little bit longer will ever know that body better than you do. So trust it. Eat what it tells you to eat. Do the things it tells you to do and know that 100% wellness is your true north. It is where your body wants to be. It's homeostasis. And that is what your birthright is. No, I def- oh, thank you so much, Deanna. Go ahead, Jared. I, I didn't know either, Sabby. And, um, you know, I'm definitely hoping that, you know, you stay strong, you know, stay positive. And um, definitely check out, like, soursop and, like, tamarind and stuff like that. Like, there's definitely a lot of good food out there that, you know, that'll sustain, you know, sustain your body and help you, you know, on your journey. So, Thank you so much. Yeah, when I found out, um, when I found out I had to have the, the operation, I found out in September. I was scared. Early, early, early September. Um, and I was like, okay. And it was crazy. That was crazy timing because I had so many trips planned. Like, so I had the DC event. Um, there were other protests that I was covering on the ground. Um, so there were a lot of things that I had planned already. And I was just like, well, whatever, I'm just going to go forward through the, with, with these plans. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll have the surgery and it is what it is. But, um, it was it was crazy timing and and plus like and then like also that week other people were contacting me like oh can you do this can you do that and I was just like uh, I can't really can like you know didn't really want to go into detail that kind of thing and um yeah I mean like you know people have things that you know they do have to like deal with right and we don't always talk about it but um. I'm just really fortunate that I have health insurance because if I didn't have health insurance, I wouldn't have been able to, to pay for that procedure. There's there's no way. I couldn't afford it. I can tell you this much. When I got the bill, because I got the bill before the procedure to show me what the insurance was going to pay and to show me what I would have to pay, the entire procedure itself was over $30,000. So I don't know about you guys, but I don't have $30,000. <laughs> okay. So I have a couple of savings, but it's not $30,000 worth. And so the thing is, and that was one of the first things they asked was like, is your insurance up to date? And I was like, yes. And so the thing is, is that if I didn't have insurance, I would have never been able to have that procedure. And this is what happens to a lot of people in this country. They don't have 
they, they either don't have health insurance or they don't have adequate health insurance. So you can have health insurance, but that doesn't mean that your insurance carrier is going to cover certain procedures. And so if that ends up being you, then you'll never know. So imagine if I didn't have insurance that covered the procedure, I would have been screwed and I would have just had to sit here and just wait and not know. And that's what happens a lot of time to people in this country, particularly people in the African-American community. And this is why we tend to have a higher rate of these types of illnesses. It's not that we don't want to get these things checked out. It's more so that we're more likely to not have adequate insurance to cover preventative care. And that's why I keep telling people that a lot of these things are preventative if you have the insurance coverage. What's crazy to me is I feel like most of this shit that's giving people cancer is the food we eat, the trash mm -hmm. they serve at these restaurants because I did watch the documentary of Dr. Sebi and the stuff he say eat and don't eat and that especially black people shouldn't be eating like sour cream, cheese, um, stuff like that from cows and shit. Like she, he said something about um, people, you don't see other animals drinking any other animal milk and that's mm -hmm. what, and then Big Pharma is pushing these pills but yet they go after these, um, what you call them, herbalists? Because they know they can heal the body. That shit come from the ground. It's not. That's what our ancestors used to take. Yeah. Before all this shit. It's like a billion dollar industry. And they keep us. Like I told y'all about the um, the HIV medicine and stuff. They got stuff that can um almost like keep the person that's like undetectable. But I'm like, if they can make a pill like that. Because I see it on like it's ads coming up there every day on Twitter. And I'm like, if they got shit like that, that can um, clear it up. Why don't just go ahead and have a pill that get rid of it? You know what I'm saying? But it's just, they want people to keep coming back. That's right. For the um, medicine. That's so true. That goes exactly to what I was saying before, Sabrina. Like what I was saying before about how income inequality affected that. When they, left wages stagnant and now what happened was mom had to go to work too and she wasn't there to you know have those home cooked meals where you know it was more healthy yeah. and then and then when both parents come home from work and i'm not even talking about a single mother i'm talking about both parents mm -hmm. they come home from work they're too tired to to, to cook and, you know whatever the case is so what happened was you get, they, they do the instant ready-made processed, ready to go, instant microwave. The microwave industry exploded in the 80s because that's when wages staying stagnant yep. and income inequality started to really uh, uh, exacerbate. You know what I mean? So both parents had to work. So, you know. The, so hungry, man, the hungry man dinner. Remember yes. that? <laughs> yes. And they started the shopping. man dinner, like the microwave stuff. Right. So, so they started shopping around, instead of shopping around the perimeter of the uh, supermarket, they started shopping within the aisles with stuff, the ingredients that you can't even pronounce. And then, you know, like some decades later, your kids mm -hmm. or your grandkids grow up and 
the uh, and then they got all these health problems now. And then it turned the, uh, eventually the serpent will eat its own tail because now because um, one of the main reasons because they cannot get bodies into um, the military is because they're too unhealthy to pass the physical. So now you, the system has just fucked itself. <laughs> okay. I was just, just going to say yep. that like, yeah, um, 100%, 100%. One, one of the things that people may not realize too is Roger was just talking about the food. Like, I don't know about you guys, but like when I was growing up, like I grew up on home cooked meals. Like my mom cooked, first of all, like, especially if you, your parents didn't have a lot of money. And when I was little, at that time, we didn't have a lot of money. Like my mom stayed at home. She wasn't working at that point in time. And my dad was in the military, but he was low rank at that point. So when I was like little, like a kid, like my mom always cooked, right? Except for maybe like Friday night or Saturday night, my dad might bring home like pizza or something like that. But for the most part, we had home cooked meals. Now, I really do believe like what Roger was saying is like, the shortcuts to eating really made things worse for us. Mm-hmm. And so now, even now, it's really funny because like, I remember like, even when I was in college, we used to eat a lot of crap. Like I, I look back on it, like we had a lot of unhealthy things, just like a lot of microwavable things. But it's so funny because like now, if if you open my freezer, you won't find one TV dinner in the freezer, which is crazy. Because I used to love TV dinners. Like, that, that used to kind of be my thing. I don't feel like cooking up a TV dinner. But, like, now it's like, if I don't feel like cooking, I can still just go to the grocery store. And I can get, like, things that are either prepped or I can get things that are, like, pre-cooked. But it's still, like, real food. It's not, like, TV dinners and stuff. Mm-hmm. problem is... And I did a project about this before, which is that there are people that live in parts of this country where they live in a food desert. And a food desert is a place where, basically to make a long story short, they don't have a grocery store. So what happens is people end up getting their food from places like Walgreens and Rite Aid, things like that, because they don't have a grocery store. That should never happen in like the wealthiest country in the world, but it happens. And so the thing is, is that what I highly recommend to people is like, you have to like, even if you don't like to cook, learn how to cook because you really need to start cooking your own food. And because you know what you put in it, you know the ingredients because you made it. But take out will fucking kill you. Like, I just, I hate to say it that way, but takeout, there's so much calories. You don't know all the different like types of seasonings that they're using and how much sodium is in it. So something can have less calories, but can have a lot of sodium. So this is how some people can end up becoming diabetic and they're like, I don't understand what I did wrong. If you're eating a lot of takeout, it can easily fall that way. But like, it's cheaper just to make your own food. And then like, so for me, when I cook, I'm not going to go on a rampage about cooking, but when I cook, 
I usually cook enough to have leftovers at least for a day. So if I cook on Monday, I cook enough so that I'll have to cook on Tuesday. That's usually what I'll do. That way you don't have to cook every night. And I actually learned that from my mom. Let me tell you about a story that happened to me. I had went on, um, so there was a point where I had health insurance. So they had put me on, um, besides uh, the uh, hypertension pills, they had put me on cholesterol medicine. So what happened was I lost my health insurance and I could no longer pay for it. So then I just started a regimen of eating sardines. Don't like it, hate it. I think they're disgusting. Then I got health insurance years later and they said, oh, your cholesterol cleared up. And they took me off the medicine. Okay. And I still have blood pressure. Well, actually, I don't have the blood pressure medicine anymore because I don't have health insurance, but I just got another job. So maybe I'll get it again. But um, yeah. Um, I w- also, what I would suggest, get a bag of apples, organic, put them in the refrigerator so it could get cold. Eat one every night before going to bed. You'll feel better next morning. And I can tell you guys something else too, because like I do work out. Another thing I'll tell you that I like, those of us, especially like that lift weights, like we have a different type of diet. But one thing I can tell you is that um, when you're like lifting weights, right? Like, so you really want to replenish your body with carbs, but there's good carbs and there's bad carbs. And a lot of times like people hear carbs and they're like, okay, I need to go have a sandwich or pizza or pasta. But those aren't the good carbs. You want to replenish your body with good carbs like fruit, certain types of fruit, berries, strawberries, blackberries, blueberries. Like I live off those things. Like we always have like berries or something either in the fridge or the freezer. You can get a frozen fruit too, by the way. You can get like the frozen berries. And so there's different types, different ways that you can replenish those carbs with good carbs instead of bad carbs. So that's another thing. But berries, if I remember correctly, berries are the one fruit that have the lowest amount of sugar, but will still give you that replenishment that you need after a workout. And they're pretty cheap too, believe it or not. Strawberries, blueberries, because blue, a lot of the times people just don't buy them. I don't know what that's about, but a lot of times people just don't. But, and, and to my experience, from my experience, everybody's body is different. But for me, I can't fuck with dairy like that. Yes. Like, for example, I grew yeah, up. me neither. Whole milk, then 2% milk, then 1% milk, then skim milk. But I can't fuck with milk today. If I had a glass of milk, I would not be feeling. I can't do milk either. No, I I can't have it today. And when it even when it comes to cheese, cheese is something I may have maybe twice a week. But other than that, I don't really well, mess sa- with it. Sabi, Sabi, the thing is that the thing is that the dairy that we actually have in America has homogenized, like it has so many chemicals in it that we can't 
our bodies, our bodies, like our Native American, African American, can't can't break it down anymore. We can't do that because what they do to dairy. Because actually, if you actually have goat's milk or so many uh, like actual cow milk, you not you will not get sick. But the thing is that what happens with dairy in America as cheese, cheese, cheese doesn't even have cheese in it anymore. It, it really doesn't have any kind of like actual um, milk products in it. It's just like a chemical composition of some shit that they produce that they, it looks like milk or looks like cheese. But if you're trying to burn it in a burn it in your frying pan, that shit looks like 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 uh um plastic burning in your pan. Hey, Savvy, it, I did want to. Our dietary system has been based. Sorry, Saul, I cut you off. Hi, I apologize. No, I, I was going to just share something for Roger and everybody uh, because I have a couple of friends who really dove deep into uh, nutrition for the last 10 years and just sort of re-educated themselves because there's also, just like there's a lot of, as we know, a lot of propaganda in, in, in politics and in the mainstream media, and it's all you know based on capitalism. It's the same thing for the food industry, all based on capitalism. So there's propaganda that pushes certain products, certain foods, uh, like uh, Roger was saying in the 80s, the fast foods. This is all derived from capitalism. But, you know, in the last 10 years or so, you know, many documentaries have come about of, of the, the people that live to be 100, for instance. And those are people that usually eat a high percentage of vegetables. They have a diet that's probably less than 2,000 calories a day or, or thereabouts. And they eat small amounts of meat, usually fish or chicken and, and mostly vegetable. And then they have a, a lot of physical activity. And they they found those groups of people that do that on a regular basis. And we're not talking about, you know, working out really hard, but just doing physical activities and then having 70% of their diet is, is, is composed of vegetables or some sort of fruits and then uh, small amounts of meat. Uh, and these are not rich people. You know, these are people that live in Okinawa, Japan, in different areas of, of the world that they live to be 100 and their diets, their diets consist of this type of, uh, you know, food and physical with the combination of physical activity. And they live much longer than you know, the than most of us because they, you know, but it's all organic food or, or, or food that they grow. And if you do that, it'll solve a lot, you know, because you're forced, your body doesn't overeat. Uh, and then your, your body can acclimate to eating those type of foods. Um, but it's harder for us here because we live in this capitalist system and we work the way that we work. So you almost have to like reprogram your mind. Uh, decolonize, de uh, I guess our minds are colonized to eat a certain way because of capitalism. In the same way that we learn about politics, you have to learn about what you eat. Uh, I mean, I've been learning about it the last few years and eating a little bit you know, better than I was 10 years ago. Um, you know, and for me, food is a big deal because growing up, there was times where we didn't have that much food in my house. Um, so food is, is something very dear to me, uh, eating and, and, and having the ability to have food. But yeah, you know, Roger, if, if you can, you know, maybe do some, some YouTube 
look on look up centurions and there's a ton of people now that that are into this uh, and you can buy food it, it's not always the cheapest you know to buy organic food but there's ways to buy food and find a good kid. food at a good price a kid. yeah can i can i interject can i interject for a second i hear you the thing is that uh we 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 all come from different cultures right like sabi is i don't know african-american or maybe from some island somewhere i really don't i don't i don't troll sabi at all i really like the fact that i just listen to sabi and who she is and what she is doing for her body but by the way as a native of dominican republic as a like all of you are from different countries we grew up on natural food and meat was part of our food it, be it fish, be it cow, be it sheep. By the way, I don't like sheep. That shit tastes like shit. I don't like it. But being healthy, yes, that is a plus. But what are we doing as a human species, preserving our lives to be alive and not actually representing what's happening in the planet? Because you can be as holistic as possible, as loving as possible, but we have a big contingent out there that is fighting for us to die. So you can preserve your body. You can look amazing. You have the six pack or you can preserve that body perfectly that you want to envision about yourself. But it's not about food right now. It's not about food right now. It's about humanity. I got to bring that whole talk about humanity because we right now, People in Palestine can't eat. They can't even drink clean water. Imagine Flint, that they can't even drink clean water in the United States. Let's bring the, the conversation back to what is at hand. Because we, I, can, I can sit here and talk to you about holistic medicine because my, my mom and, and most of my people are, are indigenous. And they, they gave me the, the kind of knowledge to preserve my body. But yet, as a little kid growing up in America, I said, oh, my God, America is so awesome. Yum. I love cheese. I love burgers. Yeah. But you know what? what where I go back to is my home-cooked sancocho, the soup that cures the soul. But the thing is, we are here caught up in these little dialects about politicians and and herbal medicines and you think that these politicians care about what we're thinking they don't give a shit because they know they already raped our holistic medicine away from us and gave us the byproduct the chemical chemistry of what we used to support and enlighten ourselves with and keep ourselves healthy what what Sabi is doing, exercising, that's 100% the best way to keep your body, you, 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 to keep your body and mind up and awake. Because without, we, we, we come from a culture that is hunter-gatherer. We are carnivores. No matter how you, how you reword the word, how do you try <laughs> to, to make, excuses about it we're carnivores we love meat 
Ooh. Not because we oh. want to kill animals. <laughs> I'm gonna have to jump. It <laughs> actually gives us the nutrients that gives. Go ahead, baby. No, no, no. You finish, and then then I'll I'll uh, respond. Yeah, my sister, I I I really want to finish this. I'm but I'm saying, exercise. Yes, that is the best way to keep fit, and it gives you oxygen, oxygen and endorphins to your brain. Because without oxygen and endorphins to your brain. We are dysfunctional human beings, and whatever you're doing, whatever health um, ethic that you that you have, you have to maintain that clarity of mind because our mind is what drives us to do things, to change things. I agree with that, my brother Soul. I have to uh, push back a little bit. Um, I've been a vegan for. Oh, good. More years than I can remember at this point. And uh, I, I feel like uh, what, what I've come to feel for my body, and I, I do feel like every body is a unique vehicle, vessel, uh, container of the spirit. Uh, starting out biblical, as Sabi mentioned, I was a, a very Bible-based child. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, it says, I give you every herb bearing seed and the fruit of the trees. To you it shall be for meat. So, in my view, the optimal way to maintain these bodies is with the things that grow from, from the earth. I think earth is our natural sustainer. And our natural um, mother, who, and even cooking is not undermining what she gives. It's enhancing it, definitely, in, in terms of taste and, and that sort of thing. But we can live long, long lives. And in the Bible, they lived six, seven, eight, nine hundred years in these same bodies. They they like mm-hmm. to try to trick you into saying, oh no, it was the body was different then, and oh, so many pollutants now that the body just can't let. No, it was these bodies, and they just knew that these bodies can go for a very long time. Now that's been proven again with Henrietta Lacks, whose cells are still alive and being used on the moon in experiments at Harvard, at Stanford, in all sorts of tests, her cells are still living and replicating. Yep. We are born immortal and we are taught a death culture. And we are taught that, oh, you've got to eat this and the four basic food groups and you got to have some dairy, you got to have the, no, you don't. You don't have to have any of that. Really, there are breatharians who live on sunlight and their bodies create their food like the trees. So we we have, that's why I was saying to Sabi earlier, you have to listen to your body and what it wants and what it needs. If it tells you today, I just want some grapes. That's all I want. I don't want anything else. I don't want a steak today. And I, I, I grew up in the South. So I was a hog eater. I was a chicken eater, pretty much any meat except chitlins that you put in front of me, I would tear it up. I was a meatitarian. So I was one of the most hardcore carnivores ever. 
And then when my body decided it wanted to do something different, I followed its lead. And it started with just eating one meal a day. And from that, I, I developed the discipline to say, well, what if I eliminate pork from my eating? And my body felt better. And then the next year, because I don't recommend any sort of cold turkey, anything. The next year, my body called for let the meat, the beef go. And I let it go and I never looked back. And it went on like that for five years until I was, I let, finally let fish go. And since then, I've, vegetables and fruit sustain me. And I'm healthy. I don't eat a lot. I've been the same size since I'm actually smaller than I was in high school. And the body just sustains itself. And we're not taught to understand that. It's like children aren't taught to meditate. We're not taught to do the natural things that sustain us. Because there, there's an, a culture of people who want to undermine our reality. Yeah, but, man. yeah by all means, jump in. Um, I definitely, um, I'm also plant-based and mm-hmm. I went a couple of years ago and I can say when you get to a certain level in your journey and I'm not someone who's always been so consistent in what I've been doing, but, um, you would definitely tap into some spiritual realms, um, of being just like, ju- I, I suggest juicing. Oh yeah. Um, you know, you can I do. You can juice, mm-hmm. you know, but you see some very, yeah. You experience some transformative things, and I think that the holistic way of living is very. I think that is very. Uh, I think that is very important in the political sphere. Definitely, um, even you know, other countries have, um, you know, constant, uh, you know, as part of their constitutions, um, things about food sovereignty and things like that. And you know, people, I believe, you know, become very desperate when they don't have access to food, especially health food that can help their brain function in a positive way. You know, mm-hmm. because they're putting all these different chemicals into the food and stuff like that. You yes. use people's uh, brain chemistry. And I think that um, another thing is this is very political because, you know, lobby um, groups are lobbied in order to give subsidies to things like corn that will make, you know, high fructose corn syrup and things mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, uh, dairy and all these other things that are not good for you. But they, there are no subsidies for um for vegetables, for fruits and stuff like that, things that small farmers would be able to um, to benefit off of or to see more of a profit off of, you know, easier than someone who's just raising corn or ra- raising a, a single crop, you know. So I think that these things are very um, politically charged. And they are. Mm-hmm. Yes, I want to hop in right quick. I want to talk about this documentary I've seen on junk food, like, um, it's like crack, how they, um, like Doritos. I saw how they do Doritos to make people keep buying it and the shit. I haven't had a Dorito in almost three years. It's like they make, like they don't know what kind of shit they put on it, but, um, <laughs> they, um, they, they make people want to come back. And it's like, just like sugar. I know, um, my, um, uh, I got a cousin that, like, always got to have something sweet, got to be a soda or something. And, it was hard for her to get like get off of um like sugar for like two years, but once she got off, she got off. Like she had it once in a while, but I remember she was just going hard. Just like I had ice cream tonight. I do the um 
so delicious, but not often. It's like they take out something bad like milk, but then they dump a whole bunch of sugar. Yeah, it's it's you know what's funny? Um I believe it or not, like I used to drink soda like back in the day. I haven't had soda in a long time, don't get me wrong, but I used to I, I honestly remember saying like I could never see myself without like drinking like Coca-Cola. Like that was like my jam or mellow yellow. And then one day it was actually a freaking friend of mine. We were in college. It was Lent. And I still remember this. It was Lent. And she was like, does anybody else want to do Lent with me? And she was talking to the rest of us and we weren't Catholic. So we were just like, what are you talking about? So she explained it to us and we were just like, um, sure. I'm sure we can give up something for that amount of time. And she said, it has to be something that you're really gonna like struggle to go without. Like it can't be something that you, you're not going to have an issue with missing. So I chose to give up soda and I was just like, okay, whatever. No big deal. And the first week was the toughest week. I'm not going to kid you. But then after that, I didn't miss it. And then after Lent was over, I remember I was like, oh, I can have a soda now. But I didn't want one. In fact, the next time I actually had soda was when I went to Atlanta and we went to the Coca-Cola factory. We were visiting and I was like, I went into the room that was uh, try all the different Coca-Colas from around the world. So I don't know if anyone has been to the Coca-Cola factory in Atlanta, but I went there and they were like, you can try anyone from around the world. And I remember I, I took a sip of one from Japan and I remember I just felt really nauseous because I, it had been so long, so many years that I, I just didn't drink soda anymore. And even now, like, I can't imagine. So like, we don't even have that in my house. Like we don't buy soda. We don't buy, I don't even buy juice because I don't, I've never been a fan of juice, to be honest with you guys. Like I used to drink orange juice every now and then, but even as I got over older, even orange juice bothers me. Like just the, I think orange juice is too acidic for me. Right. So, um, so mainly like I have water, almond milk, um, tea. Like I have a lot of different teas, like herbal teas and stuff like that. But other than that, I haven't had coffee in four years. I haven't had, but again, like I didn't think I would be able to give those things up. I really didn't. But had it not been for my friend who said, who wants to do this? Who wants to do it with me? I don't know. Maybe I would still be drinking soda now. But like it literally was because there was that challenge for Lent and they said, give up something. And I was like, okay, I'll just give up soda or whatever. And I never had a desire for it again. I, I think it's really interesting also to go back and to look at, um, you know, when you talk about sugar, you talk about coffee, and you talk about these exports that, um, you know, the, uh, these were the the things that made, you know, the you know colonizers rich, you know, when they came to these different places. These were some of the original exports that made them rich and were all and were you know often only afforded to like you know the upper the upper crust of whatever society they were being shipped back to but once they became afforded you know um afforded to you know people who were in 
the lower rungs of whatever, you know, society or whatever hierarchy was in that society, you know, it becomes something that you don't want to live without. And that, that becomes privilege, you know, so it, it does it does tie into like a lot of um, a lot of different you know, hierarchies. I want, I want, right quick, I want to say if you ever if anybody ever did a fast in, in here, try a fast for two weeks and then eat something from McDonald's or anything oh, no. like and oh, um, no. this will tell you how toxic um the food is. Your body will I tell you. Yes, I did it in the I did it in the beginning when I didn't know no better. <laughs> I did like a um fast and I like now I know like you gotta like do juicing and berries and stuff, nothing too harsh. Because in the beginning, like four or five years ago when I first started I went like I did a, a cleanse and a fast, and then I went to like Burger King, and oh, when I ate it. I felt so disgusted, like <laughs> disgusted, and I ended up throwing up. And uh, this let me know how toxic um food was. Oh, that's real. I, I just want to say, um, so I wanted to push back on what she said, Soul, about us being carnivores. I think we were meant to be herbivores. And this is the reason why I say this. Look at the shape oh, of our teeth. What, what? Oh, well, look at the shape. I said, of, oh shit. Oh, okay. Look, look at the shape of our teeth. We have flat teeth. Yeah, like, oh, like, like, like the cows, like the cows. Yeah, horses, all, all of that. Like all the, um, grass all and shit, yeah. Yeah, all yeah the but I love that. myself a nice steak. Okay, I didn't say. Well, you 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 move the goalposts on me, but that's I free you. will. <laughs> you know what I mean? That uh, only the carnivores have. I, shot by the way, by the way, my sister Deanna and yeah, we don't have. But the thing is that we're like universal. We're kind of a universal species. We can do Omnivore. whatever the fuck our minds tell us to do. Yeah, we're omnivores. We're like we can go from grass to meat very easily. Yeah, I, I, I get like that people, fact. I I was a vegetarian for four years. I feel like people back then and ate a I, lot of meat. I, my body actually. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Natari. Sorry. I feel like people back no, then no, ate ahead, a lot of meat. Go. I feel like a. People back then ate a lot of meat because they was more active. Like they had a hunt and they was moving a lot. Gather. Yeah, yeah but, yeah. They, you know. Oh, go yeah. ahead, Eric. Like the thing yeah, is that. Say, um, the hunter gatherers, they would only, you know, probably only eat once and they were doing all that physical activity. And that's why I was saying yeah. to you, Roger, that this yeah. is why these people that live like up to 100 years, they have a lot of physical activity and they eat. They still eat meat, but their their diet consists of mostly vegetables and fruit, with meat being a component, but a smaller percentage of the yeah. total diet. And I, if you do that, it, yes. it definitely you will make your body better for the long run. Okay, got it. No, I I agree with our kid right there. Like, yeah, we need a balance between the both. We're not a hundred percent trying to kill all animals on the planet. We'll also want a little bit of nutrients from the animal intake. And that is what uh, Native Americans lived on. I mean, we can't deny who we are. I mean, you can 
change your ethic about how you see how you eat and how it impacts the animal but we were raised on this if you're native and indigenous to to some degree we all are because our ancestors had to survive on something and it was not just on wheat and grass and vegetables okay i want to i want to play this for you guys speaking of actors um trying to be <laughs> something that they're not i want to play this this little clip here from key and peel i don't know if everybody is familiar with key and peel mm-hmm. but it's um i it's love british, key and peel is british actors versus american actors so listen to this this is funny this is the point that i was trying to make so me out son now you're gonna end up with a bullet in your head for it you can't play me motherfucker i'm a motherfucker that plays motherfuckers motherfucker I remember this clip. Nigel, that's great. Oh, great. It's flashing. Thank you so much. Yeah, Tom, look, it's been an absolute honor. <laughs> and what a great opportunity to be here and be able to play an American top. Well, I'm just so glad that's that we got the uh, so you can play with us. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Angela, listen, I'm just now buying that you're someone that was born and raised in the streets of Brooklyn. That's weird, because uh, I actually was born and raised in the streets of Brooklyn. <laughs> I was in a gang and everything. Most of this stuff actually happened to me. Wow. Okay. Well, that's 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 great for us, because I want you to use it. Okay? It's good first take. Let's just, uh, let's get going. Let's go. Let's get going. Thank you, G. So I just want to chime in and say, so um, it's Key and Peel, and um, one of them, uh, I always get them, oh, Key is actually british in real life he get michael p yeah, yeah. He, he's he's british in real life but he's trying to be um he's supposed to be a gang member in this this acting clip and yeah. peel actually was part them. of a gang and was from brooklyn so the producer is actually yeah. coming down harder <laughs> on peel who was actually from brooklyn in real life and actually was a part of a gang so here we go <clears throat> Scene five, take two. <laughs> and action! You sold me out, son. Now you're gonna end up with a bullet in your head for me. You can't play me, motherfucker. I'm a motherfucker that plays motherfuckers, motherfucker. <sighs> Cut. Cut. <laughs> Uh, that's a great. Uh, really, just the way you move, especially when you talk, I just really see this character coming to life before my eyes. <laughs> Antoine, your performance. I love uh, this kid. It's just not quite there yet. Okay, I, I really need to see you make more of a transformation. Okay, like like Nigel here. That dude's British. <laughs> Antoine, if I might jump in with a bit of advice, I don't think I need that. Maybe you might want to try thinking of something in the material that's similar to something that's happened in your real life. For for me, for instance, I I like to think of when (laughs) my mum wanted me to attend prep school in Leeds to become a barrister, but I wanted to study the theatre at Oxford. And so that was a conundrum, really, for me. I'm going to stop you right right there. This is confusing me, right? Like... I, I miss them. I am from the streets. 
I was in a gang. <laughs> they told me to kill my cousin. <laughs> it fits. <laughs> yeah, um, do you have any stories that involve your mom? What's a mom? So I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I just... <laughs> I just want you guys to hear. That's what I was talking about. I saw this. This is hilarious. <laughs> Sabrina, is that a YouTube? I love them. Clip? They're hilarious. You know I love them. That is funny. Is that a YouTube clip? Or where you got that clip from, Sabrina? It's on YouTube. It's called um, British Actors versus American Actors Key and Peel. Oh, I okay. have to watch that. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'm going to look that up. What's up, Case? Hey, what's up? Finally got off that call. Thank you for being crazy. patient. I enjoyed listening to you guys um, before that. Um, yeah, I just want to say real quick. So I'm going to go to Roger in a second with his ballot initiatives. But the first thing I want to say was I was listening to the show. Um, I still got to um, finish it, uh, the rest of it. But you made a good point, which was that Bernie could have been in RFK's junior's position if he would have just dropped out and ran a third party. Because now we see that RFK, his popularity is rising. And uh, of course... I thought he could have did what um, Donald Trump said, which was, hey, if you treat me fairly, I will stay in the Democratic Party and run as long as you treat me fairly. But if you don't, I'm going to jump out. And whether, you know, with that superdelegate, they were counting the superdelegates early before the Democrat, before the convention. And that was a way of rigging it. He could have just said, hey, you know what? You guys rigging the system. I'm jumping out. So I, I enjoyed that point that you made. Now to Roger with his ballot initiatives. I got a couple of ballot initiatives that I need to add to your list. The number one ballot initiative that I have is they need to stop these damn spam phone calls. Spamming phone calls. I'm getting like five a day or something at this point. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Whether it's a car um, warranty, whether they're trying to buy my house. There's so many different <laughs> spam calls that is not a friend, is not a uh, a, a legit call is just spam. So I hope that Congress could fix that issue. And then the second one is that politicians donor list. That's the other thing that I keep getting these texts because I've donated to Bernie probably one time. And then all of a sudden I'm on all these random Congress people keep calling me, asking me to donate to them. So it, it's just, uh, those are the two ballot initiatives that I would love Roger to add to your list. And then the last thing I'm going to say before I pass on the mic, uh, I really would like to see Jill Stein, Cornel West, Claudia De La Cruz. I don't want to call it a debate because I'm sure they will find a lot in common, but I would love to see them all on the same panel having some kind of discussion, maybe how they could collaborate, maybe how they could build a future infrastructure. That, I think that would be good for the left movement because right now it's just... Um, it is a lot of choices that we have. I saw that Brian and I know Savvy, you saw you watched the Brianna Joy Gray, Ralph Nader um interview. And she was asking him like like how should we strategize? Like what who would you pick between Cornell West and Joe Stein? And I didn't really get a, a answer that personally satisfied me like these are things that we should be discussing as a leftist, how we can consolidate or if not consolidate, how can we at least build for the future um, some kind of infrastructure? So um, I wanted to ask you about Elizabeth um, Epps, but I think I'm uh, that's enough of me talking. I'll pass the mic. 
you, you can make your own list. You, you don't have to add it to mine. Okay, cool. Thanks, Roger. I'll add that to my list. Yeah, um, Elizabeth okay, Epps, for this those how who don't I feel. know, this she's how I feel uh, a Democrat case. politician in Colorado, and she stood up on the House floor in Colorado. We actually follow each other. Oh, um, wow. She's not um, she's not in the U.S. Congress, but she's a Democrat politician in Colorado, and she's a socialist. And she said free Palestine um, on the House floor. So, yeah, she's she's very vocal. In fact, I was supposed to reach out to her to invite her on a while back. But, um, yeah, local politician in Colorado. Um, I don't think they would ever let her into Congress just because she, <laughs> Just because of how vocal she is, she's an abolitionist, Sabrina. also. Sabrina, what? Yeah, she's what, also a, um an, an okay, um, abolitionist. Yes. Uh, hello, Case and yes. Sabrina. Where, 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 where do you flow to right now? Where do you flow to right now? What do you mean? Where, uh, where, where do you flow to? What, where? Like, let's see the meter right now. Like, what's going on? Where do you flow to? Like, we have Cornell West, we have Jill Stein, oh, we have my sister Cruz on the line. So, where do you flow to right here? Me, me personally, if you're asking me, um, uh, and then I'll go to Sabrina. I, I'm probably going I'm towards both Stein. of you. I'm asking both of you. Okay, I'm I'm going towards Jill Stein just because okay. of our initiative, just because of the five percent strategy. And also, it's easy for me to keep track of who I voted for, <laughs> and I voted green since two thousand eight. <laughs> so it's just going to be easier. Yeah, I've been me. voting independent forever, man. Yeah, go ahead, Sabrina. Yeah. Okay, Sabrina, where you float to? I think for me, it's going to come down to who's on the ballot in my state, right? So I don't, I don't know. Like, for example, it would be between final Cornel answer. West. It would be between Cornell West and Jill Stein, but it depends on who's in the ballot in my yeah, state. I'm going to vote for the black man. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much effect I'm going to have on this vote, the voting system that we have right now, but right now I'm not going to vote for the Jewish white person that stands for black people, Latin people's rights. I'm going to go for the man that actually experienced that life. So I'm always going to be for West. Yeah, I mean, but the reality is when I said that I would vote for Cornell yeah, West. Yeah, he can't get a vote. When, I know. That was when he was with the Green Party. Like now, I, I don't know. Yeah, I like, understand. The reason why I say that is because the Green Party gets on the ballot in Massachusetts. This has never, this has not been an issue in Massachusetts. So I know the Green Party is going to be on the ballot. But Can now I, I don't know. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is now I don't know if Cornell West is going to be in the ballot on the ballot in Massachusetts. That's the problem. Yeah. So our problem. alternative is to vote for another, another white person telling us that they care about us. Or I are we hope actually stand up and I hope West for our yeah, so it's for me, it's not even a another white person thing. It's the fact right. that who is on the ballot in my state? Like that that's the thing. Claudia De La Cruz okay, is not gotcha. gonna be Claudia gotcha. De La Cruz is not gonna be on the ballot in my state. That's the thing. The PSL candidates are not yes. on the ballot in my yeah. state. Also they're not even on the radar right now. 
No, but I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, Cla- Claudia is, I'm pretty sure, is very well aware of this. Like, she's a very intelligent person. You know, I did interview her, and I did ask her, what is the plan to get on the ballot in other states? She didn't answer that question. She said, like, you know, yeah, we're competitive and da-da-da, but she never answered that question about how they're going to get ballot access in other states, which tells me, again, she knows that they have the 12 states, that's what it is, and, again, I'm not... It just, I hate when I ask people a very simple question, what is the plan to get ballot access in the other states? And they can't answer the question. Yeah. I think we should re- always remember that president. Uh, I, th- I think we should always remember that presidents are term limited. Congress is not. Presidents are term limit and the deep state is not. So you mm-hmm. can get somebody in there. There you go. But okay, you're not changing the system. I don't care what they say and what they think they're going to do. Okay, because you you have bureaucrats and you have deep state people in D.C. and they just look at the president like, yeah, okay, well, we've been here for like 30 years and working against the people. Now, some of them, they're doing the right thing. They're just doing their job. Okay, that's cool. But the other ones is just like, yeah, okay, whatever. We're going to keep doing what we're going to do, okay? Because you ain't going to be here long anyway, okay? And if you get too, and if you get a little yeah, bit I think, too I antsy. Think you got it right. And if you get a little bit too antsy, we have ways of getting you out of here one way or another. So the thing is, we have to talk about changing the system from the bottom up, from the ground up, changing the entire infrastructure. Thank you. Yes. And the, and a president, yes. a, a politician will not do that. We have to do that. And it goes back to what I said before. A government that's not controlled and owned by the people is a government that is going to be uh, the, where the people are going to be uh, subjected by the government. Okay. So until we get every single yep. state yep. in this yep. country, at least 40 states, to be citizen ballot initiative states for amendments, okay. Because the plan is, is is you have have a citizen ballot initiative state for, you know, let's say 40 states, right? So this is, this is what my plan is. We push, okay, okay, I'm hearing myself echo. Um, We push an initiative. Yeah, you echo. We we push an initiative amendment, right? And it says any time Congress puts a, what do you call it? puts a, um, uh, 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 an amendment to the states for ratification. Referendum. Yeah. And a, yeah. You are to immediately take it up, but before, the state legislatures, but before you take it up, you ask us the voters first by putting forth your own legislative referred constitutional amendment before us asking us, how do you want us to vote on this amendment to the U.S. Constitution? that the Congress- Hey, Roger. Hey, Roger. Roger. Hey, Roger. When was the last time that anybody asked us for our opinion? We're we're just told what we should do. I mean, I love, I mean, I'm actually, yeah, we're never asked our opinion. We're told what to follow and who to follow. 
Right. So I'm I'm a hundred percent down with what you're saying. I've been a hundred percent down with what you're saying. I'm actually doing what you're saying. I'm gonna mm-hmm. vote ballot initiative by ballot initiative right now in my state of Florida. I am doing that shit right the fuck now because of you, my brother. And not because I had to be like coerced, but that is a sound mind because we have to as a community in every state we have to fight for the voice of our state not the freaking politician that is a million dollars deep in somebody's pocket but us so we have that little we have that little stipulation that we can actually say something about how we want our state because from state to state is different you already told us that and i learned so much from you my brother and i'm still fighting for that ballot initiative and i'm gonna vote Ballot down, my brother. I'm always going to vote for that. I don't give a fuck about what head is in the politics or what head is running this government. I'm always going to vote for the people that are in my state. Not only in my state, but the whole country. Because if Massachusetts gets some freedom, I'm going to be happy about that. If New York gets some freedom, I'm going to be happy about that too. So I'm not fighting for myself. I'm fighting for all of everybody here. And I'm not Floridian. I'm Dominican. I don't give a fuck about who the fuck is running this country because that country is not ours. We lost our country a long time ago. So check this out. I got. I do have to get going in like five minutes. Uh, okay. So, so, so let me just say this. Okay. Uh, um, so if we were to get 40 states that allow their voters to place amendments on the ballot to ratify their own amendments into their state constitution. One of those amendments can can be forcing the state legislature to call for a U.S. constitutional convention where the states say, we con- say to Congress, we want to put an amendment on the, uh, on the U.S. constitution, which would co- which calling for a national ballot initiative amendment where the voters across the country can um, will be given the option to place our own national amendments on the ballot to be ratified into the U.S. Constitution. Okay, if we had that power, okay, one of the things I would do is we would pass an amendment that says no arms sales to any country without Congress asking us first by putting a national initiative on the ballot asking us if that if if we can send arms to this country or that country so that's just like one of the things that you know but we got to get at least 40 states that would allow their voters to do that that's it well said i want to leave you guys with a a comfy little thing um i'm not going to play the whole thing obviously I'll just play the first line or the first uh, verse. This might make you guys laugh. This is another Key and Peele. Um, when Key talks about his experience when he got shot. Hey, Ready for sex, man. Busters roll up. Who's trying to talk shit?
And after that, <laughs> okay, so I've been sleeping on them. I, I really, I didn't watch a lot of that during, it was during the Obama era. I was, I don't know, I was busy doing other stuff. I didn't get to see them, but I know how big they, they blew up because uh, they were like the alter ego of Obama. I'm going back to watch all that stuff now. I'm about to bitch Ken Peel. That's hilarious. Deandre, you got to tell me somehow, sometime how Denzel Washington and Samuel L. Davis Jr. were, Samuel L. Jackson were able to. Um, yes, get around it. Uh, right, yes. yes. And still be successful. You, you got to tell us that story sometime. Indeed. <laughs> There's a story. <laughs> but um, another day. You guys have been amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm just thank you for all of the wisdom and just all the things. I appreciate you, Sabby, so much. I'm going to watch the other half of the show now. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm in my silly mood now, but I do have to get going because I, I do still have to um, uh, actually get my grocery items in the morning for mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. So, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> Good morning, and you guys have a wonderful holiday. You gobble, too. Gobble. You too, Noah. Much love. Adios. And after all that talking about food, we're going to stuff ourselves Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Pumpkin pie. <laughs> oh, Tofurky for me. <laughs> y'all Alrighty. enjoy. Take care. Right. Bye. 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 Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, I mean, you know, you know, happy day, happy food day. Peace, peace.